Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to so everybody watching and also salams to the brothers who have joined us today. Inshallah, I will introduce everybody. Uh, but before I do, I want to just quickly introduce the topic today. Now, I know many of uh, the brothers who are regular watchers probably said, oh, you guys have not been on for such a long time. And uh, we've, I mean, we've been uploading things, haven't we, Yusuf? Yeah, there's been uploads. Uh, we've just been doing live. <laughs> yeah, the, I uh, think. Debates have been going on. Yeah, yeah. I think we've just been really busy and just getting everybody together. As, as brothers can see, we haven't got everybody. I, Abdurrahman and Jake are not here at the moment. Uh, but inshallah, we thought it's a really important topic to discuss today. Uh, the subject of free speech. What is it? Uh, how should we understand it? How do Muslims approach it? And I think the reason, and I think it's quite obvious, the reason why we've chosen this particular topic is because of uh, the incidences uh, that took place. That was it. I think it was Friday now, uh, where reports came out that Salman Rushdie had been stabbed several times uh, when he was about to give a lecture or speech at some open event in America, uh, and so a lot of similar discussions. And I want to maybe go into those discussions that occurred at the beginning when Salman Rushdie and the whole Satanic Verses book came out. Uh, some of those discussions have come to the fore again about what is it with Muslims, why they're so angry about people being critical about their beliefs. You know, are Muslims just too sensitive on these issues? You know, free speech is something that everybody should up uphold and Muslims don't seem to uphold it. So we want to really do a deep dive into this type of discussion. Uh, we are going to have an opportunity for people to ring in. So we are going to, after the first introduction, which may be up to about Maghrib, to about maybe just after Maghrib time, uh, we will uh, have a discussion amongst ourselves uh, and we'll open it up for people to come, join, ask questions, make comments, even challenge what we're saying as well today. Uh, so the topic is about the illusion of free speech. How free is free speech? Uh, and we've got obviously, mashallah, a group of very experienced brothers uh, who are able to address some of these topics. So obviously, we've got Brother Yusuf Ponders. Assalamu alaikum again. Wa alaikum salam. How are you, bro? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Been enjoying the, good. The, uh, the warm weather. Got my little. <laughs> I, hate, I hate warm weather. I'm not. I keep saying at work, and at work where I work is mainly white English native, you know, English people, and I say I'm not built for this weather, and they look at me strangely, like <laughs> <laughs> you seem to be, you seem to be epitomised the, uh, the the nature of warm weather, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so I, I'm not very good with warm weather. And we've also got brother, mashallah, Abdullah Andalusi, uh, as you know, many of uh, the guys will know, people who, who follow his work. He's done many debates, discussions. He writes regularly on his blog uh, and various academic, uh, you know, uh, articles uh, that address various subject matters from atheism, but also on the issue of secularism, liberalism. Uh, and I think you've also had a debate on this topic on free speech. Is is that, or am I thinking something different, Abdullah? Uh, yeah, a few times in the past, yes. Alhamdulillah. So, assalamu alaikum, uh, Abdullah. Jazakallah khair for coming. Wa alaikum assalam. And we've also got a, a new guest who's not appeared on our channel, but is a is a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known him for many many years. Uh, who also has done numerous talks, uh, conferences, uh, not just in the UK but in other areas around the world. 
uh, on various topics on the issue of Islam and politics, the caliphate. He's had uh, debates and discussions with prominent academics and journalists in the UK, and I think even politicians. He's discussed topics related to liberalism uh, and free speech, uh, and uh, was also part of a campaign a few years ago called Our Prophet, Our Honor, uh, which was uh, about almost 10 years ago now, uh, which was, again, when there was insults taking place against the Prophet wasallam. And there was debates about preserving free speech against these Muslims who are sensitive. He led a campaign and a discussion around this topic area. Uh, this is uh, Brother Abdul Wahid, Dr. Abdul Wahid. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Dr. Abdul Wahid, jazakallah khair for coming today. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, So, inshallah, we've got you know some really good brothers on the panel. Uh, and I really wanted to deep dive into, the, well not deep dive, but just really sort of go into this discussion, just not about free speech, but also the context of Salman Rushdie's satanic verses, because what's really interesting is, um, I know, mashallah, brother Abdul Wahid, he's of the age where he remembers these things and lived through these things. I was quite a young person at the time, so but I also remember this uh, incident that occurred, and it was a very important, seminal moment uh, uh, you know, uh, when it occurred for the Muslims in the UK, because it was in the late 80s. Um, but many Muslims are unaware, because obviously, you know, it's 35 or so years ago now, 34 years ago. So many Muslims are, are unaware. So, Abdul Wahid, you were, you were at university at the time. So I don't know what your thoughts about that particular uh, situation was at that time. You know, what was the scene in regards to the Muslims, Muslim community in the UK? The scene was very different, Sharif. I was, I was at university. I was in my third year at university when the book came out. Um, I don't even remember the Islamic society at my university having any visibility if it existed. Uh, certainly in my class of medical students of 100, there was no sister that wore hijab. Uh, in the whole university, you'd see the odd, the odd one. Um, uh, where I lived at that time, it was not a very uh, Muslim-dominated area. In fact, there were not even many non-white people in that area. Um, so I wasn't from like brothers up north, sisters up north, who were in very concentrated Desi communities. So uh, when things kicked up off north, uh, uh, kicked off here, protests about the book very much in those northern communities that led on that uh, on that outrage about the book when it first came out. But it was a little while after it came out that the penny dropped about how bad it was. Uh, I was a very different person. I, I, I really vividly remember this. The term had just started. Where I was, there was a big bookshop which was advertising Salman Rushdie's new book. I'd read two of his previous books and... Uh, it said the author will be signing copies here. And I was really excited because it's hard to explain this now, maybe, because the world has changed so much. But for somebody like me, uh, growing up in a very, born and brought up here in London, uh, in a very white neighborhood, um, born here, living here, but not, not ever thinking I'm of here, uh, family from uh, Pakistani heritage, but, you know, 
heritage which I'm very proud to connect to, uh, but actually it's not me because I'm very different as well because I've never lived there. Uh, so this guy, guy who's a writer, Booker Prize winning writer, writes books which are praised in Britain and the English speaking world, which talk about themes which very unusual for a guy like me actually connect maybe more than they do to the average person who's reading Booker Prize winning books. Okay, so very unusual time. So there was, you know, talking about themes which were across, across the world, East and West, uh, India, Pakistan, colonialism, anti-colonial anti -colonial narrative. So I was very excited that Rushdie's doing books. So I went to the book signing paid some small fortune for a student for a hardback copy of the first edition of the book, had a little chat with him. He's interested to talk to somebody second generation. And he even like said, yeah, we should meet up. Like, you know, very interested like that. And then took the book home and started to read it. And I don't know how, what the right word is for it, yeah? But uh, either my intellect is severely lacking or the guy has a serious problem in his writing style in the book. I couldn't read it. It's really convoluted, really difficult to follow what he's talking about. So I put it away. Uh, I wasn't interested in it. Um, beginning to regret my, <laughs> my, um, my money that I'd forked out um, on it. And then the whole thing kicks off. And some point in the next few months after the protests and the fatwa, I remember chatting to some German student who had visited London. And it was strange enough, it was, nobody really asked me what my views were on this because I've not seen as a very like it's, Islamic person. I, I was Muslim, I didn't drink, but you know, I, but I really didn't know much about Islam, didn't connect much to Islam in my life then. Um, and he asked me about what I thought about it. And I, I couldn't really um, answer him. And I wasn't going to jump on the narrative of, oh, you know, it's outrageous. There shouldn't be a fatwa against him. But nor could I say, yeah, it's really bad because I hadn't read the book and I didn't really know what the details were about it. So later on in the year, I read it. I read it from cover to cover, just thinking I should try to understand what it is. Uh, it's, it's very hard. I, I don't like to go into the details of my past, guys, because um, there's a lot of toba you do over the years. For But suffice to say, I was a very nominal Muslim, really. I, I was not somebody who, if somebody had made a joke about, I don't know, people doing salah or something like that, I don't think I would have, like, got hung up over it, yeah? I found this book really difficult to read when I got to the sections which were talking about um, the Prophet basically, and his family. Uh, I found it, I found it uncomfortable, stomach turning. Um, I don't want to go into the details of how he uses language, how he talks about it. Uh, I think uh, it's worth just explaining if people don't know. Um, it's a thinly veiled, disguised attack. Okay, so it's, it's one of the characters in the book is going mad and he kills himself at the end of the story. That's a spoiler alert for you. <laughs> he kills himself at the end of the story. And during the book, he's having these dreams. And in these dreams, he's dreaming of an Arabian prophet many centuries ago. And the name he's chosen for that prophet is a name that the 
Kuffar used to, in medieval times, used to attack the Prophet ﷺ. Very insulting name. It was it was it was a name of derision. And the, the way he's caricatured the Prophet ﷺ, the character that's meant to represent that, and the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, Allah be pleased with them. It, it's it's really bad. And probably at that time with my lack of understanding of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ in Sharia on this issue. The biggest thing I noticed, I felt about it, was how could he have done that? He's from an Indian Muslim background, um, and he'd know exactly how to stick the knife into those hundreds of millions of people that have a similar background to him, and he did it. And he did it. And, you know, I, I think going back to that time, somebody like me, I wasn't, I wasn't one of these guys hung up on my identity. I wasn't rejecting anything from either background I came. I felt quite comfortable navigating these things. Uh, but this was a moment where I kind of felt, one of, probably one of the first moments in my life where I kind of had to choose. I kind of had to choose. Am I... Uh, with him or against him, and I was very clear in my own head. I can't be with him. So, be so with it, him. yeah. So, in essence, basically, you're saying that even as somebody who wasn't at the time, and we're talking about 35 years ago, wasn't yeah, very practicing. Uh, yeah. and, and we're talking about a situation where I think a lot of Muslims identified themselves more with a second generation Muslims identified themselves as like Asian, sort of with the Indo-Pak crowd as opposed to be Muslim. Like you said at university, Absolutely. there wasn't a a visible ISOC at this time, you know, Islam, ISOC stands for Islamic Society or MSA in, in America, Muslim uh, Association, Student Association. So you had all of these types of, um, you know, uh, any uh, prominent, uh, you had these types of uh, nominal aspects regards to Islam, but even then you felt really offended. Yeah, so I, it just, I it sort of, yeah, it, it sort of, it, it felt very uncomfortable. So it sort of goes to the heart of the problem, which is that, well, if somebody who's going to feel like that, who doesn't necessarily fully, you know, engage with the faith at that time, then what would it uh, occur regards to the average, uh, or not the average, but just the, the generally devout Muslims as well? Absolutely. And, and I think, I think one, of the, one of the turning points of that, I used to see the protests from up north, and I used to see those uncles with the big beards and placards and burning books and... I'm, I hate to say this, but frankly, I found it a bit embarrassing. Yeah, because mm. um, uh, you know these were not these were not people who were were speaking calmly. They were not presenting their care. You know, that that's the way people think. They might be thinking, oh, you know, we should have a nice, polished, well-spoken person uh, presenting our case. But you know, after having read it, their presentation skills wasn't the issue. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, yeah. that wasn't the issue. The issue was the book. Yeah, the issue was the book, and and uh, you know. So uh, I think uh, that's very hard to explain to people here, isn't it, guys? Because um, you know they they genuinely believe the best way for humanity to live is if every individual is allowed to do or say whatever they want to do, as long as there isn't a direct harm on somebody else. Uh, and they never think about wider consequences, collective consequences, um, how how you ever could harmonize a society. Never think about those things. It's much more about my rights, 
right or wrong. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll, yeah. get that division over yeah. that division. I think. Yeah. No, Hamdullah, Jazaka, I think that's really important in terms of the context of what was occurring. Uh, Abdullah, is it the case that Muslims are just too sensitive? It's not interested in having anybody saying anything critical against Islam and Muslims. Muslims are just so sensitive. They're just, you know, uh, yeah. So basically, are they just too sensitive? Well, I'd say that uh, it's not a matter of, it's not an issue of whether Muslims are sensitive, whether um, human beings have a natural inclination to sensitivity in areas they find sacred or respect worthy. Um, and that needn't be a person's religion or their their belief in prophets and or in the creator of the universe, but it could be something as more um, prosaic as a flag, uh, for example. So you know, you try burning a flag in France, you'll get arrested because you don't have the right to express yourself by burning a French flag. Uh, you try uh, insulting uh, a judge in a court, uh, express free speech, just to say I think you're a fool to the judge. And that's contempt of court, and you'll face uh, uh, jail time for that. And and also, even in the United States of America, uh, where people uh, tend to mistake the federal laws uh, to be the only laws that exist in the in United States of America, when there's actually um, state laws and uh, or local ordinances, which also have many restrictions on particular speech, um, there's actually a type of... Uh, well, that you're prohibited from using things like fighting words, i.e. Uh, the type of insult that is reasonably figured to incite an opposing person to violence uh, against yourself or just to punch you in the face, even though that's actually illegal to do so. So if you would insult someone's mother to their face, uh, to the point or to an extent or in a context where it would be reasonably... Uh, suspected that the person would retaliate with violence, uh, that is also illegal, even if the violence that they're retaliating with is also is illegal as well. So I don't know why people are looking at Muslims like we're somehow different to, or have a different nature to the innate human nature that all humans have. The only difference is that we have uh, between human beings is that they all have different gods. Uh, as Muslims, we posit that we believe in the one true God. And others would say, or we disagree, we believe that nationalism is our God in all, all intents and purposes, if not in a literal sense. And they wouldn't tolerate insulting their, their country or insulting their nation or insulting their presence or insulting their courts or, or, or a number of other things. Um, you can't also slander people as well, slander people's reputation, even though you're not physically harming them at all whatsoever. You're just... Uh, um, you could be just causing offense. There's emotional damage. It's a, it's a tort law, i.e. I, um, tort meaning it's an offense. It's a civil offense between person to person. They can sue you uh, for emotional damages of, of hurting their feelings. And of course, as we know, in English, in uh, the law of England and Wales, there's uh, laws against offensive speech, uh, types of offensive speech. Or, and in America also, uh, on the federal level, they do not protect obscenity or obscene speech, which is uh, very subjective in the United States of America. It really depends on your locale, how people react to what, what you want to express, whether it's deemed to be obscene or not. So the point is this, that Muslims aren't overly sensitive. Uh, we just believe that the, the creator of the entire universe and his messengers 
deserve more respect than poultry rags on a, on a pole um, or a capricious, mercurial, fallible human beings. So of all yeah. the things that do deserve respect, uh, surely the, the, the creator behind the reality itself is the most deserving of respect. Yeah. So, so Yusuf, you know, in terms of this, you know, uh, this issue, obviously Abdullah is saying that everything, so he's saying that this is not unique to Muslims, that many non-Muslims, um, they have certain red lines. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously you grew up in Radcliffe, North Manchester, uh, in, in the estate, you know, it was that your experience as well? Uh, yeah. Or just like, generally in society? Well, like if you offended someone, uh, by abusing them, that was game fighting talk. If you were to abuse someone's mother or family, that was a red line and you were guaranteed to end up getting in a fight um, if you were to start calling someone's mother. If you start burning poppies, um, if you disrespect the, the country um, in any way, that was enough to get you into trouble. So it's not like, like these attitudes are not present at all in many of the average person and it's like well it's it's in related to what you love and with the the british people you know they, they love their mothers um for the most part and they love their country and so when you disrespect that it gets them riled up and i, I don't see how they can't understand them we, we love the prophets peace and blessings be upon them all and we love them more than we love our family, the more than we love ourselves. And this is common across all Muslims. So, you know, why on earth would they think that if they are going to get upset when someone's offending someone they love, why we wouldn't react in the same way? Why, why, why is it that, you know, uh, all of a sudden we're supposed to just not be it's completely nonchalant and and keep this in mind as well it's not we keep in mind we're saying prophets plural so it's not just about the prophet muhammad sallallahu it's about isa as well jesus we, we don't appreciate uh satire against isa you know when, when people mock jesus this is something that infuriates muslims as well and what saddens us is the christians have lost this uh, protective zeal that, that you know they should be and they, they were there was a, obviously there was a selection of christians that did protest against you know, like life of brian when that came out that caused a bit of a controversy they had to up the age at some point um because there was outcry against it um but that was that was a while ago and like since then i doubt you would see anything like that happening in the uk again where if something was brought out mocking uh isa alayhi salam um, that it, there would be as much, there maybe would still be some pushback, but there wouldn't be as much of a pushback, and it would definitely be seen as somewhat odd um, yeah. if the British populace was to push back against it. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question later on, but uh, you know the fact that okay, everybody's sensitive, but it seems like Muslims are so sensitive that they're gonna undergate undertake acts of violence. Yeah, so you know, is that something unique? But I'm gonna ask that later on. Because what I want to really get uh, get into a discussion now is because most people will say, look, free speech is really important, but there are always going to be limits. So I really want to understand what is this definition of free speech, you know, because it seems to be this thing that's pushed, said, uh, but when people sort of try to understand what it is, 
and why it is, why it's uh, you know considered a virtue within the West. That that's when it becomes a little bit hazy as well. So in terms of, uh, I don't know if uh, who wants to answer. Uh, Abdullah, do you want to answer what is free speech? You know, what is this this term, this idea? I mean, it's it's in some senses it's a bit nonsensical, isn't it? If I went to Saudi Arabia and I complied with all of MBS's political and religious and social views, and I confine myself to that, I'm free to speak as much as I like, aren't I? And if I go to France and I comply with Emmanuel Macron's French values and never challenge them and never criticize him, then I'm free to speak. I mean, it is really, there is no such thing as free speech and there never has been and there never will be because all speech is has limits and the limits will be legal, the limits will be ethical, and the what defines the limits are the un, the values that underpin that particular society. Um, you know, I, people say Muslims are sensitive. Just just before preparing for this show, just looking up a few examples from France, and man, Macron is a snowflake when it comes to criticism. Yeah, I mean, you know, criticism about the French Republic, criticism when the Russians tweeted a meme that showed Europe lying on its deathbed and being injected by America and Britain and COVID and all this stuff. and Criticism of him. You know, criticisms of him. Like, you know, even the journalists in France are, are, are you know, are threatened with penalties if they criticize him. Yeah, it's, it, this is, that sensitivity, that sensitivity, that's the head of state who should be accountable to the people and the media and, and and that's what comes with his job, um, and uh, and, he, and in in the society that supposedly believes in liberté, uh, it's it's ridiculous, really. Um, and uh, I think I I think to be frank with you, the the idea that uh, Muslims are oversensitive and violent and stuff like that, this is also a mischaracterization. Unlike Macron, unlike Boris, unlike Biden, unlike these powerful states in the world that actually exercise some power, Muslims are not in that position. Muslims are a disparate number of people around the world who are overwhelmingly face hardship and political oppression where they are. This is what they call punching down, isn't it? This is not speaking truth to power. I had some ridiculous person talking about Salman Rushdie, that he speaks truth to power. I mean, that book, if ever there was punching down, it's that book. And uh, it, so trying to compare the response that of, of Muslims on these things and the response of other people, it's not like for like, actually, uh, at all. Uh, Abdullah, Okay, so I, I think the point is uh, the term free speech is used, but the, the actual idea of free speech, or the, not the idea, the pragmatic application of free speech doesn't really exist in any society. There are always going to be laws and restrictions, but but where, where did this, this notion, where, where, where did this idea come from? What's its origin? Why was it so lauded that, you know, around the world they, they constantly talk about it? What Also, maybe as well, why is it that free speech is always juxtaposed with insults with religion in particular as well? Okay, yeah, well, you're, um, 
Dr. is correct that um, you you have uh, freedom within the law uh, in any country, and it's kind of pointless to say that uh, in a way that you have more freedom. So you have freedom of speech in one country, you don't have freedom of speech in another country. If these countries are governed by laws, which all both have restrictions to different degrees and different levels. Um, so in essence, it's an, it's an enlightenment idea that emerged. Um, and it emerged because, uh, well, the Catholic Church, but mostly Protestants against each other, they didn't tolerate the religious opinions and interpretations of the Bible that rival Protestant uh, factions had. So they, that led to the, the only way they, they knew how to solve their problems, which is basically killing people for um, having difference of opinion on areas of, of obscure abstract doctrine, not even political issues, just abstract doctrine, uh, whether uh, the transubstantiation was literal or not, uh, um, whether the, the, the wine and the bread literally become Jesus' body and blood or not, things like this. Anyway, so then because of all the bloody inter-Protestant, um, mostly inter-Protestant uh, fighting, um, then you had some philosophers emerge that said, look, uh, why don't we just, in essence, agree to continue criticizing each other verbally, but just don't engage um, in violently trying to extirpate others that simply just have a difference of opinion to yourself, J just difference of opinion. Right? And the, they try to argue that truth would be better sought by argument and debate. So the point of then a, a protected speech was the pursuit of truth. And they had nowhere in their mind the idea that People should have a right to insult or gratuitously insult and lampoon and mock and so on. It was to express your heartfelt beliefs and concepts and uh, advocate and preach to people to be, join your sect of Christianity and to uh, refute rival sects of Christianity. So, that, and of course, John Locke argued himself in, in his uh, two treaties of government. He says specifically the definition of freedom is not to do whatever you want, um, but rather that there should be a regular law that's common to everybody. And within the, the permissible, within the Mubah, uh, everyone has freedom within what is permissible. So by that argument, if it's using that definition, then I could say, you know, in the Sharia, uh, we also have freedom of speech. You can say anything you want that's permitted by the law of Islam and, uh, and up to the limits of it. And then you, you'll see no one's allowed to cross the limits of any law system in any country. So we could say, yeah, sure, we have freedom of speech in Islam. Uh, we just have different, uh, we, we put different uh, limits uh, in different places compared to other uh, law systems, but you could say it's still freedom. Uh, so that's really kind of what it, what it means. It's freedom from an abs a kind of a mercurial ruler, in essence, that they could just arrest you if they don't like you, or they make something is, seem, seems to be legal, but you say something and the ruler doesn't like you for saying something which is legal, and then he arrests you randomly because it's like, how you look or what have you. Some would say much like Saudi Arabia today. Um, uh, and that would be not free. I, you'll be, he argued that was not freedom. Um, but if there's a known law with known limitations and restrictions, and it, as if you keep inside those limits, then that is um, freedom according to them. And it was freedom to pursue truth was the, the main basis why they argued for freedom, not freedom to uh, act like children in the playground and lampoon and insult each other because that doesn't actually benefit the truth of seeking truth is actually mitigated it's actually um it's actually kind of prevented and hampered 
by lamp, uh, lampooning, insulting, and so on, because anyone can lampoon and insult. You might insult something that actually is true, and by creating an animus in society against something that's true, your lampooning would have actually hampered the pursuit of truth. So no liberal has ever been yeah. able to justify uh, the, the right, quote-unquote, to insult. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the... One of, oh, sorry, got my uh, voice. One of the um, examples that you mentioned about, you know, something may be true and you don't want people, uh, any, what, what were you saying, lampooning it because it could cause the people to divert away from the truth is the way um, social media companies, the way, uh, you know, generally governments around the world have been really uh, uh, antagonistic against people who are arguing against vaccinations you know, the, the anti-vaxxers, you know, because they're saying, well, here's a free speech, you know, people are trying to present their ideas, what they believe is true and for the betterment of society. But at the same time, they say, no, 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 we have to restrict it because it's so wrong. And we're not here to debate whether vaccines are right or wrong, but it's so wrong that it's at the detriment of society that actually we should ban it. There are certain things that go against the value of free speech um but yourself why is it that it it always seems to be I, I think i mentioned it before always seems to be that free speech always seems to come so we don't really talk about free speech when it comes to you know the anti-vaxxers we don't really talk about free speech when it comes to people talking against lgbtqi yeah uh we don't really talk about free speech when it comes to isis and their recruitment videos yeah but we always seem to talk about free speech and uphold it when it comes to attacks against religion. Why is it specifically religion that always seems to be the thing that has to sacrifice itself to the idea of free speech? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Why is it? That's um, something we should be getting the secularists to answer for us, I think. Um, yeah, because obviously there's these contradictions, isn't there? There's that they don't mind, like I said, with the issue of the COVID vaccinations. How many different uh, any uh, how many different companies or social media companies banned people from social media because they were promoting uh, anti-vaccination yeah, uh, yeah. ideas? Prominent individuals, uh, you know, I think uh, I can't remember. Was it Joe Rogan? He found himself in problems as well, or he had to leave social media. He ended up. You know, uh, I think there's some other issues with Dr. Joe Rogan, but one of them was anti-vaccination. So, Abdul-Wahid, you can say? So, I was going to say, in France, one of the things that Macron was very sensitive about was the anti-vaxxers had a, a poster up of, uh, of Macron with a little Hitler moustache with the slogan saying, obey, get vaccinated. Uh, and, and Macron took legal action over that. Yeah, so... Um, but I think I think back to your point. I mean, the issue in why religion is so sensitive is it's Europe's history, isn't it? Europe, Europe the more religious it was under the Catholic Church, uh, the more they found that debate, in intellectual inquiry, uh, even even political uh, um, uh, expression was all restricted, because. The kings, the princes, the rulers were were supposedly divinely chosen and endorsed by the Pope. And any questioning of Catholic doctrine was heresy and you could be tortured and burnt at the stake for that. So when they broke through that dam, 
um, they found they could start questioning and progressing in a way that they hadn't before. And they, they view the whole world through that lens. So but for us as Muslims, it's almost the reverse, that the more the, the deen of Islam was at the center of the society, the more justice we saw politically, the, the more intellectual inquiry we found, the more advancements in technology, the more harmonious the societies. And when all of that ended, you know, in, in the 20th century, we've seen kind of division and backwardness, although that was the end product of a, of a longer process. But, but it, it, it's wrong to kind of, they, they misdiagnose the problem, actually. Um, they, they have some understanding of their own, some understanding, I say, it's not, it's not complete, but some understanding of their own experience, but they then project that onto the rest of the world. And, and that's problematic, actually, because it's, it's not, it doesn't fit. It's, it's a, it's an incorrect yeah. premise that they've got. Okay, it's also so you're going to say... Sorry, it's also bad history by the West, um, or by modern generations or their understanding of the, the West, because um, Europe was actually technologically progressing since the 12th century um, under the, the Catholic Church, and that's why they, the 12th century European looked in clothing style and technology different from a 16th century or 17th century European. Um, but uh, it was only a kind of in, in the 19th century, um, many atheists tried to popularize the point that they said uh, um, that uh, the Ch Catholic Church and other churches um, hampered technological innovation, which is actually not the case. Um, it, like, you know, Galileo was not burnt at the stake, but now some people think he was for some reason. That's just, uh, again, a more bad history. Um, and because of that miss, well, because of that basically really false understanding of, of history they then project it onto everybody else that uh, myth um that uh freedom of speech freedom to insult somehow uh is linked to technological progression which it clearly has no link at all whatsoever one might even say the opposite that um when you have societies whereby uh the truth can be uh, lampooned and insulted and denigrated then what motiv motivation, so what safeguard is there to prevent a majority of people from succumbing to that uh, ridicule and being opposed to truth? And there are many such cases which we can discuss. One issue is um, the, the, the fact that uh, now, you know, the idea of gender being male and female has been ridiculed to the point that people uh, can accept the idea that uh, a gender is just a self-identification, just a label you, you apply to yourself and has no uh, no solid connection to biology. And, and and now we have some some you know the issues of uh, transgender discussions as and, and kids are being taught now that they can identify as whatever gender they want and uh, blurring the lines between the, the type of clothing people could wear and things like this. And that shows you that uh, and you, and it's difficult to even make a factual, a criticism against this without being attacked and accused, i.e. insulted and accused of being intolerant and a bigot, even though you might just be making factual um, arguments. So that's just a, a, to, to highlight, uh, to point as an addendum to... Um, yeah, no, well, yeah. I wanted to kind of add to what you were saying as well in that um, like we've, we've even had it in the comments with uh, the, the same kind of character. Where, when we're talking about um, not offending and not um, purposely trying to push buttons 
um, that we're somehow also talking about preventing criticism, as if we, we're, we're not going to allow um, for people to give forward sort of like an intellectual tome of reasons as to why they don't believe Islam is true or why they don't believe in Allah Azawajal or why they don't believe the Prophet Muhammad is a messenger of Allah. It's, that's not what this is about at all. Like Islam is fine with engaging in these discussions. It has been throughout our history. Um, you know, the, the early uh, ulama were engaging in discussions and debates with disbelievers. Um, so that, that in and of itself isn't the issue. The issue cannot be conflated as these two things being the same thing. They're not at all. One can be considered productive conversation where two people or more hash out their differences and the reasons as to why they hold the positions they hold. And the other is just a resort to mockery, which isn't to try to get closer to the truth, but it's to cause division, it's to cause... The, the purpose of it is to wind people up. What's the point of it otherwise? The purpose of it is to get people's blood boiling. It is to annoy. And if you are purposely trying to get people wound up, to get them emotional, that is to move them away from being rational, to be able to analyze things truthfully. Because it, yeah. this is the case. Like if, I, if I'm having a disagreement with a friend back in the day and I'm calling his mum all sorts of names and this, that and the other, I can't expect him to analyze the situation rationally and come to the best conclusion if I'm saying everything that I can that I know is going to wind him up. It's not like people are like surprised at the fact that Muslims get upset about this. We've been very open and clear about it. This is something that winds us up. This is something we don't like people doing. And for good reason. You know, he's he's our prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa And all of the prophets, we have a lot of love for them. And for Allah, azawajal. You know, he's the, we consider him to be the greatest um, of all beings. So it's, it's not like you can't see that coming in the same way, like if someone was to denigrate someone's mother and they get slapped because of it, it's not like you'd, you'd be surprised at all. Especially if you said, if you keep doing that, I'm going to end up getting angry and I'm going to end up slapping you. Like you've been given the warnings, you've been told X, Y, Z. And, you know, some people are better at controlling their emotions than others. And when you have this huge population, Muslims are in, you know, called, what is it, 2 billion of the population? 1.8 billion, yeah, something like that. Um, of course, you're going to, like, have a portion of that population um, that's going to act in various ways. And what you end up seeing then is they hone the camera on the the worst characters or the worst reactions. I don't know if you heard that very loud. Yeah, we we heard it. <laughs> the on drag the worst race. Reactions, um, yeah. And then it's you know you have this extrapolation to Muslims as a whole, and it's like you know, yeah. and you know we we have um, an analogy, and that would be like oh you've got these football hooligan Tommy Robbins supporter types who go out on the lash and they get drunk and start smashing things, and people see a video of that, and then they start talking about the English. Oh, look at what the English do. It's not, you know, that's not a fair generalization. You can't say, oh, here's an example of uh, like the worst portion of this particular group. Um, no, no, it's true. And, but, you, but there's another point as well to this is that 
if people are so like if they think free speech is so important and that if you ban insults you're banned legitimate criticism then why is it they're not up in arms when it comes to the issue of anti-vaxxers because anti-vaxxers are not going around insulting people yeah, saying oh you idiots this that and you're the you know your mum's this you know whatever it is yeah they say but they don't say these things what they're basically saying is that we don't think these arguments you know we don't think people should have vaccines it's gonna do this do this do this now they may be misinformed they may be misinforming others all these types of things but the point is that they think they've got legitimate criticism now if a person on the who believes in the you know sovereignty of free speech that free speech has to be preserved it's a value then here there's no argument about it's you know if we they're insulting the argument here is we should ban them because they're promoting an idea that we think are harmful to people yeah now that is an argument against even legitimate criticism yeah or a criticism that's done in a non-insultive way to be banned so if you're going to preserve you know if you could say we want to preserve the idea of free speech you really should be focusing upon social media companies facebook twitter you know whatever uh, youtube that those companies are the ones which are are actually actively contradicting free speech uh, and obviously as you mentioned there's a definitely a delineation between insults between insulting and legitimate criticism and you know and we want to probably get into that but uh, yusuf what do we want to do about maghrib salah i know uh, abdul wahid is in london and i think you you just prayed now uh yeah. but uh should we leave abdul wahid to deal with all the comments <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was thinking maybe we could just break for five minutes yeah uh, we, you can go get some water uh and pray and do what we need to do and uh, and then we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation yeah uh, guys stay on the stream yeah uh if you know we will be back we'll leave the stream running we're, we're gonna have the message up saying that we're just gonna be broke uh, break up for salat al uh so we'll be back in about five minutes or so inshallah uh it's just obviously it's one of those times now uh where maghrib sort of comes in between us in in the uk that is it's about uh quarter to nine for us in in the north so it's just one of them. So inshallah, we will uh, we'll we'll just keep the stream going, keep listening. We're going to get into more questions. We're going to ask a question about the killing or the stabbings that have taken place. We're going to ask questions about how do you preserve uh, legitimate criticisms? What does Islam say about all of these things as well? Inshallah, and then we'll open it up to questions, comments, and criticisms and debates from the audience as well. So please feel free to uh, you know stick around, inshallah. Okay, we'll be back in five minutes, inshallah. And until then, salamu alaikum.
Okay, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Jazakallah khair for sticking around. Um, inshallah, we're just waiting for the other brothers to join uh, back on the stream. Uh, just had a quick short break uh, for Salat al-Maghrib. Uh, I'll try and go through some of the comments, actually. Uh, oh, Abdul Wahid's here, alhamdulillah. So uh, I'll have to, it's hard for me to do two things at once, which is go through the comments and also engage with the panellists. So <laughs> I'll see if... Uh, if I can find any comments that catch my eye, inshallah, we'll, we'll seek to address that. But while Abdul Wahid's here, maybe just to um, uh, further the conversations while the, the other brothers also uh, will join us back, inshallah. So Abdul Wahid, um, I think it was John Stuart Mills, he said that, you know, his argument for free speech was it's a way of professing ideas, it's a way searching for the truth. We're inquiring upon the truth, and it's a way of holding uh, governments to power. So you mentioned this point. Uh, so his his argument was this, and I, I I do like I said I want to get into a discussion about how Islam looks and addresses these particular topic areas, professing truth, professing ideas, inquiring in the truth, and also holding governments to power. But you mentioned a point which was that when you read the book Salman Rushdie's book Snake Verses, you said that this was. Uh, punching down, not punching up. Uh, and there's this idea of satire, and I think it links back to the previous point that Yusuf mentioned earlier, which was, you know, what is satire? Why is it that it's seen as important? And what does this, what, how does this relate to this idea of punching up and punching down? Yeah. Yeah, so satire, of course, was, it was employed as a tool to challenge the powerful when Sometimes you couldn't explicitly account the church or the ruler at the time. Um, and, and it's a very powerful tool um, that's been used uh, for, for centuries, really, hasn't it? But the, the, generally what you find, those who are involved in satire, the modern day comedians, there's, there's, a, there's an unspoken rule, which is, uh, comedians generally want all speech to be free. They want everything, nothing off limits, okay? Whether it's joking about disabled people or Muslims or black people, generally they they want everything available for them to make a joke out of. But the unwritten rule amongst them tends to be that they don't tend not to punch down. So, you know, even if they do make the odd joke about, somebody from a kind of uh, vulnerable community or something, they, they don't make that their dominant theme. Their dominant theme is usually there to, to criticize the ones with the most power. Um, and, and I think, I think I mean, that Rushdie book is just one example, but I think the important thing also to mention about the Rushdie book is it did really open the gates of Islamophobia as we know it in the West. Um, prior to that, you didn't really get so much over criticism or hostility for well, decades, probably since the time of the Ottoman uh, Khilafah, when they used to overtly, you know, draw cartoons and ridicule uh, and, and that sort of thing. But 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 after the fall of the Ottoman Khilafah, the, there's not really an overt language about Islam, hostility about Islam. It's all very quiet. And from the 1970s, you had multiculturalism in Britain, which also made it unfashionable 
but 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 the Rishti book kind of opened the gates to that. And you know, you've got a brown faced Muslim named person um, who's writing in a hostile way about Islam. That's that basically opens that's basically open season for anyone else, really. Um, yeah, I, but I think that that's the key point. I think the idea, see, the whole the whole idea around this satire was about how people who lack power are able to insult, ridicule, or criticize a, a group or the powerful within society. Because there was this fear that if the powerful are untouchable, they're basically able to do whatever they want whether that's oppressed people, etc. So the idea was, was that it was about the people at the bottom accounting up, yeah, holding those two uh, powerful to account. Now, the idea of the opposite was always seen as actually not just it was bad etiquette, it was seen as really dangerous. Because when the powerful start doing that against the disenfranchised or the weak, it's, an, it's not a level playing field because they hold all the political power, all the military power, the power of the media, etc. And you've got a group of individuals who are the minority. So the group of individuals who are the minority here are the Muslims in the, in the West we're talking about, because this is where the book was released. This is where there was a lot of debate and discussion that you've got a very small, tiny minority of Muslims who, during your period of time, when you, you know, uh, in the 1980s, were facing racism. Uh, maybe not the overt Islamophobia in the way that we see today, uh, but you had that type of racist attitude, and then suddenly you got somebody who's opening up this this arena to say, actually, no, I can make a satirical, you know, uh, work against the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, which is not against you know the powerful, the people in positions of power, they're against a small minority that live in within Britain, and then. Obviously, we've seen that, whether that's been the Gert Wilders Fitna, Jilan Poston's uh, cartoons against Port Salem, uh, the Charlie Hebdo's cartoons against the Port Salem and Muslims. All of that has been the powerful against the weak. And all of this has come, particularly in the last 10 years, 15 years, within the context of the war on terror, where Muslim lands have been invaded, where Muslims are facing greater draconian measures in their own, you know, in, in the West. And so you've also got this dehumanization. And this reminds me of, uh, I, I don't know if uh, you've come across, uh, you probably have, you know, the the famous Nazi publication, Der Sturmer. I think it was Julius, uh, I think Abdullah wants to mention about that, Julius Stryker. Yes. Uh, so there was, um, uh, there was a, in Switzerland, a, Nazi publicist for anti-Jewish propaganda and um, his name was Wilhelm Gustloff and he basically uh, was was just this is this is by the way this is uh, just before World War II so there was no extermination camps um, at that point uh, but there was persecution against against uh, Jewish people and so uh, what happened in the with to Wilhelm Gustloff is um, that basically he, uh, a, a Jewish student, a young Jewish student, uh, who was angry and upset at the propaganda against Jews uh, that justified uh, discriminatory treatment against Jews in Germany. So in Switzerland, he came to Switzerland and he basically shot uh, Wilhelm Gustav, killed him. And, and then what the Nazis in Germany argued is that, oh, look, 
they, they said, oh, look at the Jews. They're against um, the free speech of the German people. They're against uh, us being able to, the right to express the tr our, our truth and so on and so forth. Uh, ironically, paralleled by um, the BJP in India, uh, when uh, there was one uh, BJP leader and many BJP, uh, or RSS leaders, sorry, um, who, who have been, and in some cases are, are BJP leaders who were implicated in uh, lynchings of Muslims, but there was one particular RSS leader um, who, was, who was killed. No one knows exactly who, who killed him. And he was made into a martyr uh, in, uh, amongst the BJP supporters, saying that, look, uh, the, the Muslims in India are attacking our, our, the, the right of Hindus to free speech. Uh, when their, their propaganda of these organizations is, in essence, implying that either Muslims are going to be kicked out of India or worse. Right. So, um, so, so what, no one would say, no one would say or condemn uh, the actions of the, that uh, Jewish student who killed Wilhelm Gustav, for example. I mean, sure, they'd say, yeah, you know, we, we shouldn't do it today or, or in, 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 in to, to modern day far right Nazis, you know, although some left wing say punch a Nazi, you should punch Nazis. Um, but, but, but basically, it just illustrates something that um, there was people would say today, oh, well, that was understandable, perhaps. They might say it was understandable because uh, the, the Jewish student was angry at the propaganda against fellow Jews in Europe, uh, the legal discrimination they were facing by, in Germany. This is, this is before, by the way, the uh, World War II, the death camps, all this. This is, this is a bit much more um, earlier than that. And and they'll say it's understandable. So, and I actually put this forward onto, I think, on Channel 4, they, um, after the Charlie Hebdo uh, shootings, uh, they, uh, where, where the magazine had said some really nasty things about the Prophet Muhammad uh, but also about Muslims and also a kind of uh, paralleling, uh, parroting much right-wing propaganda against Muslims. And I said that, um, you know, that, you know, sure, you know, the action is, is uh, as a Muslim, we'd say action is condemnable because it, it goes against Islam to break our covenant of security with the state we're living in. You can't just break, take the law into your own hands um, and and go against the, the law that you're basically meant to at least be respecting under the covenant uh, as, a, as a person that resides in, in the let's say, non western lands however um in the west they have um given made excuses for those who have undertaken violence um against targets which are just you could say propaganda based but not actually violent themselves and i'll give you one more example um or two more examples which is um, the NATO bombing of the radio uh, television headquarters in Serbia during the 1999 uh, in the Kosovo war, basically. Or, or so were... NATO was bombing a TV station? Yes. Yeah. Right. It was a civilian t TV station. Uh, they yeah. said that uh, they said that it was basically uh, it was giving pro-state pro propaganda, pro-Serbian propaganda, and so Therefore, it was a valid target. Uh, in Iraq, Iraqi TV, uh, the kind of uh, Iraqi TV station or the state TV station was bombed during the 2003 uh, Iraq war. Um, but again, they said it was uh, uh, because it was giving propaganda for the Iraqi regime. And, and these are state TV. It's a civilian. These are basically civilian TVs. Uh, they're, they're not. Yeah. They don't give orders and they don't command the armies. They don't direct armies on the ground. They're just for, for the civilians, for the, for, for the general people. Um, but they were deemed to be valid targets, and no one condemns that. Right? But yeah, I that think was, also, 
people based on just yeah. their expression of a, di of a yeah. differing perspective. I mean, there's also examples of Al Jazeera in Afghanistan that offices uh, a media outlet again being bombed in both Afghanistan and Iraq and journalists that were killed. Uh, recently, there was a journalist in Palestine that was killed, a uh, Christian uh, Arab journalist, uh, I think, with Al, Al Jazeera, and she was killed by Zionists. But just going back to that Der Sturmer, which was the magazine, uh, that one was an example of a magazine that used to uh, satirically paint the picture of Jews as rats and things like this. Uh, and the person, Julie, uh, Julius uh, Stryker, or Stryker, yeah, Stryker, uh, after World War II was convicted for producing this magazine, not for engaging in any you know, extermination camps, but producing this magazine, he was convicted for crimes against humanity and he was executed uh, by hanging. Yeah, uh, this was by the international, I think it was the international court, uh, the Hague, yeah, after World War II, where they looked at Nazi war criminals and basically executed them. He was one of them. So his crime was the fact that he made satirical magazine, satirical content in his magazine against the Jews, uh, which they said created the environment of demonization uh, that led to the uh, the Holocaust. So, so the point here is this: is that when we when when people say, "Ah, oh, it's just Muslims who are overly sensitive," or "It's just Muslims who are sensitive and engage in violent acts when it comes to people's speech," I think what we can show is no, it's not Muslims who are sensitive when it comes to speech, because as we've brothers mentioned, the examples of anti-vaxxers or uh, various laws that prohibit speech or the fact that Macron himself, you know, from France bans the hijab, which is sort of an expression uh, or, you know, uh, you know, sought to um, any, uh, uh, prosecute people who are insulting him, all these types of things. They, they demonstrate an example that this isn't just a Muslim issue. And secondly, as as Abdullah has given numerous examples, where violent action has been justified on the basis of what people have said. Yeah. So it's not just the case that it's, uh, you know, um, Muslims who are engaging in violent actions, even whether we agree or disagree, it's a separate point, you know, in terms of the fiqh of it and things like that. But actually the fact that that violence does take place yeah, and it's been justified as being moral, even under a Western liberal secular standard. Uh, just to move on, because time's a bit short, and we want to try and get the call. Call. I don't know if uh, we want to send the um, any the Streamyard link to it. But just to move on, uh, and maybe to ask Yusuf as well, um, while he does two things at once. <laughs> so Yusuf, um, okay. So this is the idea that if you criticize or if you if you say that we shouldn't allow the mocking of certain things that you're going to create a problem where you're not going to get legitimate debate taking place and the ability to search for truths yeah so how is it under an islamic paradigm this is sort of you know isn't that a problem if you're not going to be able to criticize what we believe are sacred things then you're not going to progress society So you muted yourself, I think. Sorry, repeat the question. Yeah, so it's just this idea that if you can't criticize, insult religion, then basically you're cutting off the ability to make any criticism against religion, not just against religion, but then you create this knock-on effect where you're not going to have the pursuit of truth anymore. You're just going to have people protecting their own positions, so what when, they believe when, is sacred. 
when we're studying philosophy, we're, we're told about the distinction between uh, reason and rhetoric. And there's a lot of emphasis put on how if you're trying to achieve truth, you do so by getting rid of the rhetoric and by putting it to the side because it isn't necessary in order to find truth. The whole point is that you get to the, the bare bones of the argument. What are the particular reasons and what's the conclusion? And why, you know, is it valid? Are the reasons being given true or false? Do they follow? Uh, does the conclusion follow necessarily from that? That's what the discussion's about. And it is commonly understood that rhetoric interferes with that. And that is why we remove it during argument reconstruction and analysis, because it's just not conducive to analyzing arguments, to getting to the truth. So if someone has you know, some sincere criticism, so for example, if they've got an issue with uh, you know, anything in Islam, you know, the, the, the fact that it mentions slavery in the Quran, uh, you know, at the age of Aisha radiallahu anha, if they can come and they can give a, a syllogism and they say, you know, this reason, this reason, this reason, therefore this, and they put that forward respectfully, and they just say, so, you know, we, let's have a discussion about this. There's no problem with that. And we can achieve, you know, a, a discussion and we can, you know, have um, a back and forth. We can have a dialogue and that can all be productive and lead towards the achievement of get you know both parties coming closer to truth but if you add into that and people understand this because the same people that sort of give muslims grief for getting upset about these type of things when they're watching debates they don't appreciate it when the muslim resorts to offensive language and starts chastising their uh, interlocutor and things like that and when the muslim interlocutor is making use of rhetoric this is something frustrating. They don't like it, but then in the same breath, they they want to move towards this notion of, um, you know, all of a sudden it's going to be completely fine. And it seems to be the case that it's not that Muslims are overly sensitive. It, it seems that a lot of people are overly sensitive about Muslims being sensitive about anything at all. And that seems to be the biggest issue because I think we've given enough examples here to highlight that there is a... a more concern with the Muslim community than there is anything else. We've got um, there's, there's whole articles that have been published in academia that point out that despite the fact that Muslims um, don't commit as high a percentage of the amount of crimes as the media would have you believe, that they get uncountably, well not uncountably, very countably because the, the academic papers did count them, they get exponentially more media coverage for the same acts than any other type of person. And like there, there was, uh, you know, for example, you have um, an honor killing or there's uh, someone who is um, tagged as Muslim and then he does something terrible to his family. Um, there was one uh, particular case that there was more articles and news reports written about that one case than there was of every other case combined. And you've got to ask yourself, what is this obsession about? Why is it that everyone seems hypersensitive about Muslims being sensitive and that that sensitivity isn't transferred uh, consistently? 
If a Muslim commits um, violence or murder due to, let's say, being uh, angry at a partner or being jilted by a prospective marriage prospect or what have you, they call it uh, honor killing. Yeah. Uh, if a non-Muslim does it, it's called a crime of passion. So yeah. that's the, that's that's the, the definition that the West goes on, which is it depends on the person doing it, the, their religion, because and they give it different descriptions, which is obviously somewhat hypocritical. Yeah, yeah. And then and then when they're looking into it and they go, oh well, why is it only Muslims that commit honor killings? It's like, well, if you search that, you're not going to get results for people that are non-Muslim. Because they're not being referred to as that, so that's yeah. Why. They're not defined that. Yeah, yeah they're defining right. it differently, and so yeah, it's just it's really frustrating. So I'm going to share the oh, link for the yeah. Premier. Um, I mean, uh, isn't it right that Will Smith's slap at the Oscars was uh, an honor crime in one respect? <laughs> yeah, it was. It never be described as that. That's right. Um, was, I mean, well, that's know, exactly it, what it was. It was specifically about the honor of his wife. And that he was incredibly upset about that, and he was trying to defend her honor. And yeah, it's a so Wahid, just on on that, just to move on that point as well. In terms of okay, you know, the other argument, like John Stuart Mill said, was that if you if you restrict free speech, or one of the arguments for free speech is to hold the powerful accountable. Yeah. So I think from an Islamic paradigm, we we have this idea that yeah. You know, uh, we have this debate, discussion and dialogue with people of other faiths in order to pursue the truth. But how does Islam deal with this whole idea about holding the powerful to accountable? Or is it the case that, you faiths know, you can't pursue the truth? But how does it... Let's, um, let's just say, look, somebody like John Stuart Mill is trying to figure it out for himself, isn't he? So he's trying to figure out how you hold the powerful to account, how you allow intellectual inquiry to grow um and i doubt if you asked him he'd say that he had absolutely the right answer so when people um like try and hold that standard to today without looking at the consequences of some of these things um that we've talked about today and and others that we haven't really talked about yet um i think you know we should appreciate that standard is not the gold standard. It's not a perfect standard. Uh, I, I think of the, the, the print press as a really good example. The print press in the West often has great stories accounting political leaders, exposing corruption, you know, the MPs' expenses and all these things, which is, which is the kind of thing everyone should love to see in terms of holding political power to account. But with that comes the tittle-tattle about Love Island and the the gossip columns and the tabloid press and, you know, the Wagatha Christie trial and rubbish, rubbish, which, you know, it does demean society. And in fact, the, the, the Love Island stuff, I, I think I'm right in saying there's the stories like suicides of people who who've been on this program because they're they're so affected by that aspect of the free media as well. So. Okay, if you want to hold up that standard as the right standard, then accept it for all that it is. If you love the free media that holds political power to account, then also accept you've got a whole lot of toxic media that comes with it that really doesn't enrich society in any way. It sells copies of newspapers, makes big money for somebody somewhere, but it doesn't actually enrich society and it actually probably 
harms people in many yeah, ways. Yeah, degenerates society as well, you could say. Degenerates society, thank you. I mean, I mean Islam has a So just to remind them... Yeah. Sorry. So, Abdullah, you're going to say sorry. Oh, no. Uh, uh, brother Dr. White can go ahead first. I'll speak after. I think Abdullah so, I mean, finished. Uh, so, you're going to keep finish yeah, your I point. Sorry. Yeah. Abdullah, you speak, and then and then we'll, Sharif can open up the discussion on the Islamic yeah. viewpoint uh, later, inshallah. Okay. I just wanted to um, add to your point that, in essence, um, the the Western concept of freedom of speech, as, as originally iterated, is, is first it was actually much more restricted than people think it is today. They think it's just hey, say whatever you want, but then they then they would say, well, actually, you can't say anything you want. And the question is, well, um, how do you justify where the limits are set? So they will say, uh, we justify that limits should be set um, where physical harm is is entailed. Uh, so they'll say you can't uh, you can't ask you can't tell people to commit murder. You can't incite a riot or incite people to commit murder but then you say well but don't you believe in free will i said yes so if i tell someone to commit murder do they no longer lack a decision on the matter would they be compelled to follow my instructions and they'll say well they'll say no so then why are, do you outlaw the speech then because the speech itself directly doesn't cause actual harm uh, and people could choose whether to act on that speech or not. Um, or people inciting uh, riots, or was it Donald Trump when he didn't uh, literally say, at least publicly, he didn't literally say for people to storm the Capitol, um, but in essence, he incited them to. And uh, there's discussion as to whether he can be um, prosecuted or not for that or what have you. Although people who've done less than him and are not politicians, and don't have money behind them have been arrested for less in the United States of America. Uh, Merely just for the, an, an incitement would, would ensue. Um, in England, public, you know, order offenses um, that even if, if you're saying something that might be aggravating, you could be arrested for breach of public order or inciting a breach of public order. So the West fully understands there's a causal relationship between speech and violence, and it might not necessarily be direct but also at the same time as well as treason laws and sedition laws which are also uh, could be speech-based they also have um, laws against slander and obviously um, uh, causing emotional damage and why is that because physical harm is bad they'll say because it causes suffering but you can make someone suffer without physically touching them in fact most people cause each other to suffer without physically touching them right by insulting them spreading a bad rumor against them destroying their reputation most um, you know, teenage suicides can be caused by just simply rumors being spread. So actual suicide, people say, you know what, it's actually better. For, they'll, they feel that it's, it is at least suffering for them. The least suffering for them is in committing suicide than in continuing to live, right? merely based on rumors being spread. So they say, well, okay, well, we, we understand where emotional damage is caused by slandering someone. And I say, okay, uh, why do you think people... Uh, hate their mother being slandered. So, well, it's because that's their, that's where they're from. That's their being. They were produced physically uh, by, by their by, by their mother. But there is something even more intrinsic to the person. That we could argue, which is uh, your the very basis of your personality, your idea of good and bad, um, your the, the your idea of who made you, your ultimate origin, the the creator of the universe. That. Is that defines you more as a in character uh, than your parents would, 
you could argue. And therefore, that if you, there should be protection against the emotional damage or emotional uh, suffering uh, at being slandered for merely one's reputation, then what about slandered for who one really, who one is, their, their, their character, their morals, their values, what really defines you, right? If, if it's wrong to slander someone's race, which is just superficial, right? Then how much more, and it's, and it's that's illegal in the UK, by the way, for those, for you people residing in the United States of America, uh, and, and illegal in Canada, I believe. Um, and then how much more should uh, someone's uh, belief system, worldview, dean, you know, creed, everything that which truly defines them, be protected from a simple, uh, like gratuitous insult, you know, basically. And as Brother Yusuf mentioned, as Muslims, we do believe, of course, that there is an exception, which is um, speech said for the sincere pursuit of truth. If someone says, I don't think Islam is true and they're a Christian, uh, we, we don't take that as offensive. We don't take that as insulting because they're simply expressing their ignorance and their, their view of what they think the truth is. And we actually love to get into discussions with them. We love to have debates with them, with atheists, with polytheists, what have you, have back and forth discussions because that is the pursuit of truth. And I'll end with the point that I'll say, um, you know, in the, Ro the Roman Empire, when it became Christian, uh, it argued that error has no rights. And therefore, it used that to argue that you should ban um, anything that is not approved church doctrine. But I would say that the Islamic perspective is that um, uh, ignorance has rights um, because, as in, we forgive ignorance because it's done with a, maybe that we could assume there could be a sincerity behind an ignorant person. But we say the truth has rights and the truth must have rights. Because um, if anyone can, can uh, block truth by emotional manipulation of a people, where if you ridicule something, you reduce its respect in the eyes of the people. And if you reduce its respect, then truth becomes disreputable and incredulous, even if it's still true. And considering as Muslims, uh, especially in an Islamic system, where our entire civilization is based on obviously the, the truth, uh, we can't obviously tolerate people from using underhanded means, which are not sincere, to uh, to uh, to destroy this, and it's just like the approach in the West to anti-vaxxers. They argue that we respect everyone's rights to opinion. However, um, vaccination, because it causes harm to the body, we have to make an exception to that, right? Uh, and we we have to say that there is some edifice uh, of truth. The state has to adopt something, some basis to it. Maybe in this case, an empirical, uh, potentially empirical arguments of truth, saying that. Well, it's more. We're likely to protect more lives by being vaccinated than uh, than not vaccinated, and seeing maybe the vaccine might have problems in the future for people's uh, health. But uh, based on that assumption and calculation, we have to adopt an op opinion on this because people's lives are at stake, and we just can't tolerate um, uh, to say not to do it because there are some dissenters. Right? But that's how important it is. So yeah. that every state has to have a core a core basis behind it, which says. We're going to draw the line here. We're going to we're going to state that this is our truth, and that we have to base our civilization upon some bedrock in order to determine human affairs. Otherwise, obviously, there will only be chaos. So that's what I say. The Islamic perspective is that ignorance has has a right in, in as much as uh, we can assume sincerity, but truth has rights, and it must be protected from insult yeah. anyway. Jazakallah. So 
just to remind the audience, you have the opportunity to join us. Uh, you know, you you have that right. We're giving you that one. So you can come in, you can challenge the points. Uh, there's a question that somebody's asked in the comments that caught my eye, uh, which was by AD. And he basically said, for Adventure Podcast, are you trying to justify the attack on Rushdie? The discussion today is not about a justification about the attack on Salman Rushdie. The discussion really is about this idea of free speech, because this is what comes constantly with regards to Muslims, that Muslims need to, you know, just accept that uh, their belief system should be denigrated, they should be criticised, they should be insulted gratuitously, uh, and just simply accept it and say, well, that's free speech. And I think the point that we're trying to say here is, uh, even under liberal secular states who profess free speech, they don't accept, they have laws against gratuitous insults, they have laws and uh, they prosecute against certain types of speech, like, for example, in France, where they prosecute people if you disagree with a state-sanctioned genocide, meaning uh, something that in history they said was a genocide. So France says this was a genocide, like the Armenian genocide, and you say, no, I disagree with that, you will be prosecuted and you'll be jailed or potentially jailed for that. In Austria, if you deny Holocaust or Germany, you deny the Holocaust. And we're not saying whether we should or shouldn't deny genocides or should or shouldn't deny the Holocaust. We're not talking about that. We're just simply giving the examples that there are all societies have laws that prohibit uh, certain types of speech. So if you deny in Germany or Austria the Holocaust, like David Irving did, I think, in, in Austria, he was arrested and imprisoned for about three years. Yeah, because he wrote a book and he was a historian and he believed he was being academic uh, in regards to this. So, um, no, it's not about the dis discussion in regards to, you know, you know, it's great and we're all happy and yeah, yeah, you know, Salman took one and this and the other. Yeah, we're not, that's not the discussion today. So it's a more of a deeper discussion. But maybe returning to that question about Salman. Oh, sorry, Abdul Wahid, did you want to ask? Yeah, I was going to say, well, you know... Because I was going to ask you about this question. Yeah, Whoever asked that question, I think you really probably don't see the double standard applied to Islam on this issue. A few months ago, um, a government advisor, I mean, he's really not respected amongst many Muslims, yeah, because he's seen as a bit of a government stooge. An imam up north who um, is a yes man, seen as a yes man for a lot of government policies. And... He put forward a pro he wrote an article basically saying that insulting the Prophet وسلم, should become as socially unacceptable as using the N-word about a black person. Okay? So he's not talking about killing anyone, knifing anyone, he's not even talking about making it an illegal act in Britain. He's just saying it should be as socially unacceptable because people should realize the level of hurt and injury and offence it causes to millions of people. And he was sacked from his job as a government advisor. Okay. That's the kind of uh, so so you know when 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 the attack on Salman Rushdie happened yes uh, a, a few days ago pretty much the first comments are sympathy, upset, hope he gets better on social media. Followed by, oh, you know, we've got these people trying to shut down free speech, et cetera, et cetera, which is why we're having this discussion, I think, and why we need to have this discussion, because there's a really different standard applied to Islam in the, in the modern world.
I yeah, just, uh, so I think we've got somebody in the background, but he needs to put his uh, camera on before he's allowed to join on. Uh, in the background, you just put your camera on in the background. You're not on the stream yet, and then you can switch your camera on and you come you come into the studio. Uh, we just do that just because some people are a little bit put inappropriate stuff on when they come on. Yeah. So if you want to join us, inshallah, just put your camera on now, uh, and then, and then give away. Give away. Yeah, yeah, and then you But Abdul Wahid, while while hopefully he does that, Abdul Wahid was going to ask a question also, which was in relation to this. Look, you know we were talking about the sensitivity of Muslims, and we say no, look, Muslims are really sensitive. You had somebody who, what people say is derogatory against what Muslims hold dear, and you've got a state like Iran issuing the fatwa. Yeah, in fact, the term fatwa nowadays is perceived as a death sentence, isn't it? <laughs> which is the funniest thing. Yeah, so you know, yeah, this just, is the, just for this people is... that don't know, fatwa, fatwa is a legal verdict about a specific issue at a specific time. So, it yeah, could be, it could be like how to pray about, how to could be about my progress. mobile phone, it could be about, um, you know, it could be about eating grapes, <laughs> it could be all kinds yeah. of things, basically. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so you had a state sanctioned violent act. Uh, being perpetrated, you don't have this in the West. You don't have states that go around killing people just because of what they say, do you? <laughs> well, you have uh, who's that Iranian general? Qasim Soleimani was uh, obliterated by a US missile, I think, just uh, a few months ago. Uh, that, by any measure of legal, on any legal basis in the world today, that's an extrajudicial assassination. And uh, a whole bunch of Iranian nuclear scientists have been assassinated by somebody somewhere uh, from a from a state. Yeah. So uh, I don't think uh, it's right to say that states don't assassinate people. Um, if you watch enough episodes of Spooks, you'll uh, you'll be led to believe that the uh, intelligence services regularly knock off the odd person here and there that they find they can't deal with. In other ways, I think in truth, probably in every country around the world, intelligence services do that from time to time. And that um, isn't a country. Add Ayman um, as well to your the, the list. Um, he's a uh, he's uh, uh, what like over seventy years old. He um, our, his organization's defunct. Um, he's an old guy. Uh, he's no longer doing any operations that make him currently a threat or even a threat in the future. So he basically is. He's he's finished. He was finished. But uh, and the United States of America, when they found out his position, uh, they bombed this old guy. Um, I mean, they could have maybe tried to arrest him and take him to court or what have you. But they, no, they're just going to kill him for crimes in the past that they uh, were before about a court case, and that would be extrajudicial killing. Uh, and an example to add to, to the list, brother. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, yeah. It's a good there point. Are lots, there, there are yeah. several examples where people. Um, people who have been accused of violent acts, no trial, no due process, have had their citizenship stripped and then been killed by uh, missiles and stuff in, in many situations in the world. Um, so these are, are not, I mean, it, it's not right to say that states don't do these things. States do these things all the time. Obviously in, in the West, we hear about the high profile cases, um, probably mostly from Putin, don't we? So Alexander Litvinenko, being assassinated and the Salisbury poisonings and these kind of things become very high profile cases. But 
we'd be naive to think that there aren't tit for tat uh, uh, things going on all around the world, to be honest. Yeah, and I think there's other examples as well. So, for example, you had Sheikh Ahmed Yassin, who was seen as the spiritual leader of. See, Ayman Zawahiri, people might argue, well, he was head of a military militia, whatever it was, yeah, terrorist group. Sheikh Ahmed Yassin was a paraplegic. He was in a wheelchair, yeah, and yet he was targeted by for assassination by the Israeli state. But there are also other examples, like, for example, Julian Assange, yeah, or Edward Snowden, who they've not and they've not called for violence against America or the West. They just leaked information that they believe demonstrated how America and some of the Western countries were undertaking oppressive actions against their own citizens. Like Edward Snowden said, exposed a lot of the uh, spying, domestic spying that was taking place by the American government. Now the American government have issued a warrant for his arrest and he's looking at potentially decades in prison. Julian Assange is in a British prison waiting extradition to America, which is trying to fight. And he's potentially, again... Uh, facing decades in prison because he, he he released it. So states do issue fatwas, yeah, uh, in the in the in the context of the where that is the drone strikes that we've seen by the CIA where they've targeted people because of what they say Anwar Awlaki and his sixteen year old son as an example, or Israel with uh, Ahmed Yassin, or they issue arrest warrants against people that they deem to have released information, said things that they believe was, uh, um, you know, contradictory to their particular interests. But we've got somebody on, uh, on, on, who's come on, who wants to maybe yeah. raise a question, quick comment, uh, and then we'll let the panelists answer it, inshallah. Yeah, salam alaikum. Welcome, salam. Yeah, I would like to say, um, as an Iranian that has been uh, 43 years uh, involved in politics, uh, would like to say about this uh, fatwa that Khomeini put on Salman Rushdie, uh, why he did it, uh, despite Salman Rushdie had uh, written that book one year before the fatwa, Khomeini, uh, he always uh, wanted to, um, you know, to solve the problems uh, inside the country by oppressing people inside and exporting the problems outside, like terrorism, and uh, he started a war, a useless war with Iraq in eight years. And then after eight years, he was forced to make peace with uh, Iraq. And because he was saying always in all these eight years that we have to fight, we have to win, we have to occupy Iraq, and then we have to go and occupy, uh, you know, Israel and so on. The way to uh, Jerusalem is through uh, Karbala, he was saying all these things. Then after eight years, because the Iranian opposition forced Khomeini to, uh, you know, uh, accept the peace, then he was uh, a lot of uh, protest was against him inside Iran that why you continue this war eight years. So he put this fatwa on uh, you know Salman Rushdie just to uh, you know weigh the, those uh, problems that he had inside Iran. Not that he loved Islam. He was a, a big liar. He was a, a terrible person. He killed millions of people and he destroyed the entire Middle East, uh, this Yemen war, uh, Syrian war, and then all these things, eight years Iraq uh, war with Iraq, it all was because he wanted to keep the power and uh, all those uh, mullahs in the power, they are also robbing the people and so on. So this fatwa wasn't because he liked Islam or whatsoever, no, it was just because of his own problems. He just wanted to, you know, uh, take the attention from the problems he had inside to something else. And he succeed always, you know, for example, um, 
the war he started with Iraq, he succeeded to you know keep the uh, the power um, much much uh, longer and so on. Uh, Thank you. So, yeah. Yes. So, thank um, you, I think we've got other people waiting as well. Well, uh, um, stay on. Uh, stay on. List. If you have any question about that, I would like to answer. Uh, what's that? That you want a question that wants to be no, answered? No, I, yeah. If you have any question about uh, the Iranian regime and this, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. No, it's a good. It's a good today. point. It's a good point, and I'm going to ask that question to Abdul Wahid as well. Um, so I, I, unless you've got I, another would, particular would, question. Yeah, yeah, I would, sorry, I thank you, thank you, brother. I, I'd like kind of put a mirror to that and say, if Khomeini did that for political reasons, uh, then we have to realize, recognize that the British state has uh, elevated Salman Rushdie for 35 years, uh, given him a knighthood, given him honors, um, for for their own political reasons, actually, yes, he yes. just he's a he, to me he's like the old Shah of Iran or like Ashraf Ghani from from Afghanistan. He's been a tool in their hands, and frankly speaking, when he's dispensable, they'll they'll they won't care about him. To be honest with you, he he has a role to serve for them in being a, a, a front face, a tool to attack Islam. Um, so. Yeah, states do these kind of things. Yeah, just uh, of course they do. But uh, uh, for example, uh, UK, USA, they all support even Iranian regime in many, many different ways. But uh, I'm not talking about uh, what uh, the dirty uh, things those governments do. I'm talking about uh, the Iranian regime is not doing anything because of Islam. Okay, so uh, if the uh, British do something terrible and wrong, it doesn't mean that uh, we have to support uh, the another uh, so-called Islamic governments do the same things, okay? So um, what I'm saying is that they also do some dirty job as well. And uh, the, the fatwa wasn't because the uh, Khomeini, uh, you know, was a Muslim. They are not, for, in my view, they are not Muslims. They are just a bunch of robbers and murderers, and they have been robbing the country, destroying the country. So that's uh, the point I wanted to make that they, these people are uh, just a bunch of, uh, you know, liars and murderers. They don't care about Islam at all. Yes. You're getting no defenders of um, the Iranian regime here, um, but I'm a bit of a stickler to, for facts. And I don't think the Iran-Iraq war was initiated by Khomeini just wanting to cite um, political dogma and get a fight going. It was by the Iraqi invasion, um, which started um, over a dispute from the Shah al-Arab um, waterway. All right. And the West, the West really wanted to weaken both states, um, which is why America supplied weapons to both those countries in order that they reduce each other uh, they destroy uh, well they weaken each other um, significantly and that was achieved um, but if uh, so uh, that you get no defenders of the Iranian regime here because they didn't really achieve an Islamic revolution anyway um, uh, they, they wanted a, a gradualist revolution and then they kind of moved back when they when they didn't know how to apply Islamic um, ahkam or laws um, uh, in the modern in the modern context they didn't know how to do it and they just started to compromise and they allowed interest banking was then uh, re-legalized in 
in uh, eight, 1983 or 84, I believe, in Iran. Uh, so not really an Islamic state if they have interest banking. And that's just that's just one thing. I, I can go other things. Um, the, the second point is, if I'm not mistaken, Mustabai, I might have... I might have seen you as a questioner before. Um, are you a, uh, a Marxist by any chance? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm a Muslim, of course. Just uh, I would like no, to. No, uh, no, 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 no. I, I didn't ask whether, you, whether you're Muslim or not. I just simply said, um, I've, uh, are, you not, are you not a Marxist? Do you not believe that in, in Karl Marx as a solution for um, you know, economic problems that of uh, mankind okay. and the, and liberating yeah, yeah. the proletariat? If you because, are. If Yes, if you are yeah. if you are interested, if you are interested, then we can have a long discussion about that. Okay, that I'm not. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking whether Karl Marx is, was was wise or not. I'm not. We're not having the debate on Karl Marx. I'm simply asking: Do you not? Do you do you not subscribe to his uh, uh, creative no, beliefs? No, no. I, I yes, I believe that Islam itself uh, believes in equality. Okay, and equality solve all the problems. That's my belief that Islam itself. He's asking uh, you. Can you answer his question? He's asking you specifically about Karl Marx's philosophy. Do you subscribe to it or not? If you mention no, anything, no. Else, you're not answering his question. No, no, okay, no. I, I say Karl Marx. Uh, uh, he was uh, just a human, and uh, he couldn't think about everything. And his ideology will fall because um, uh, he was just a human. He couldn't think about every, uh, you know. Uh, aspect of um, you know the problems that uh, his uh, ideology can uh, cause. Okay, but um, I believe that Islam has uh, Allah in, in, has taught in about the things everything. that he did think about. Mushba, in the things that he did think about, do you think that he has a good point on economics? Uh, yes, yeah, somehow he has a uh, point that uh, the source of all problems <laughs> is inequality. Yeah, that this. Okay, so 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 then Mushba. Uh, um, Glad you admitted that because um, I could cite, and I know Marxists don't like this, but I could cite um, the the Soviet Union uh, and uh, and China during the the fifties, forties, or thirties, forties, and fifties. They want they used warfare to spread uh, communism because they believed that all humanity deserved equality, and in the name of liberating the proletariat, the working class. Uh, they were going to liberate them from their capitalist bourgeois overlords uh, by force and cause massacres. And anyone who disagreed with their ideology, who just simply said uh, that they're not going to adopt it, uh, they're not going to embrace it, it's not that they're going to leave it, that they're, going, they're just not going to embrace it at all in the, in the first instance, with you to be enemies of the proletariat, enemies of the people, enemies of equality, and there was a place that Marxists had for them, which was gulags, uh, summary executions, um, uh, executing their families, and so on and so forth, because they were materialists. So I I find your criticism of Iran, though we're not defending Iran here by any any um, means, um, but I find it rather hypocritical in your case because the world of view that you might espouse in the name of equality, people have uh, committed heinous crimes and justified it completely rationally according to the calculus of Marx. As in, if you believe these set of creeds, then this naturally would entail that uh, you should liberate the mankind and the proletariat um, against their oppressive overlords. And anyone who disagrees with it is, is, going, is, is a pro-bourgeois oppressor um, of the working class. So uh, do, I do excuse me if I find some of your criticisms probably 
um, a little hard to take seriously knowing your creed. Okay, can I sorry, much to that before. No, sorry, much to that. Yeah. I, I think we're slightly going off topic to the yeah, original exactly. screen. Uh, exactly. I know there's a, probably a, a history to this type of discussion, yeah. but I, I just want to say much to the one thing is, is that I, I tend to agree with your initial point, which was that Khomeini, when in the, in the 1980s, when he did issue a fatwa against Salman Rushdie, was probably doing it for more domestic consumption and he was trying to present himself as some sort of world leader for Muslims. Uh, as opposed to being really sincere about it, um, so maybe you know we can we can acknowledge that. It's just I'm going to have to move you on, just All simply right. because Ehsan has has come, uh, and uh, inshallah maybe we'll have another stream specifically dedicated to Marxism uh, yeah, where we can yeah. discuss that. And, and I, I, I love I, that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't fall calling to Marxism, um, yeah. you know, a dawah. Yeah. So I would say to Brother Mushtaba that please, please. You need to perfect your da'wah and right, um, okay. Islam yes. and yeah. remove yes. these Western influences. Oh. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, let me say last words, okay? Just yeah, please, go on quickly. Yeah, just last words. Please. Very if quickly. I, if I believe in equality, don't attach me to those uh, crazy Marxists, okay? So that's very, very wrong of you. And uh, inshallah, uh, next time, if you would like, we can talk. Because once I talk to you, uh, after a few questions about shaitan, Unfortunately, you removed me because you were not able to tell me who Shaitan is, brother. Okay, so I would love to talk to you about Shaitan. Okay, yeah, it's gonna be Shaitan. Is uh, not okay, the Abdullah, 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 okay, yeah, okay, Abdullah, <laughs> thank you very much. We'll move on to our next guest, which I think is Essan. I just want to check something first. So, do you know he calls himself Perfect Dawa when you made that comment? Yeah, I think uh, Abdullah knows um, that. Yes, I do. I do know that, which is why no, I said he's perfect his dawah. Ideally, on the creed of Islam. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if uh, that was just a crazy coincidence, or if uh, you, you let's bring on Esan. There's nothing. There's never met Esan yet. Yeah. So Esan, for those people who don't know, is uh, he isn't a Muslim. I think he left Islam a while ago. He comes on a lot of these streams, uh, not just our streams, but Hamza's then to argue his particular uh, non-Muslim, non-Islamic point. So, Hassan, how how you doing? You okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, not really an expert on this type of uh, free speech bit, but uh, I hope I can make you know make a few points. Um, firstly, I think when you talk about uh, free speech and what you can say, um, I think something you just need to point out is that. Um, that that's important to me is the is to say the factual accuracy um, of a statement whereby the the factual accuracy is more important than whether somebody's offended by it. So, you know, you may dislike some things that people would say about uh, the Prophet Muhammad, um, even though they they could be factual statements. So, uh, say somebody could say if you could say something about Hitler, and you by saying that you'd upset some Nazis, um, but um, if it's you know if it's factually accurate, uh, then a statement should be should be allowed. You know, Hassan, just on that point, you know Ken Livingston. Somebody mentioned it in the chat as well. You know Ken Livingston. He was the you London mayor. Yeah? Not personally. So uh, person, not personally. Okay. No, not personally. So you know, you know, he made a factual statement how Hitler and the Jews made uh, came had some sort of initial agreement about creating a Zionist homeland. Yeah. And the because Zionist, he made that the Zionists, not the Jews. Sorry, the Zionists, yeah, the Zionists. Sorry, specific thing that he said, yeah. 
yeah. yeah. So no, I mean, there's a lot this. of. So, and he it, he basically got lambasted. Did he have to resign for that, Abdul Wahid? He was he was remember. kicked out of the Labour Party. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah he was kicked out. You, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of you know, there's a lot of what about you here, and you know, I'm not saying that. It's not um, what about you. It's not about that. It's, it's the issue is this. What we're what we're discussing. What the point of this stream is is saying that look, this argument that is leveled consistently against Muslims after they are gratuitously insulted, yeah, one after another, yeah, uh, is always the case that you have to shut up and put up because you should be, expect to be insulted. And if you get upset by it, if you demonstrate about it, then you've got the problem not the other person and what we're saying is actually you know we can give so many different examples where people are being banned cancelled uh, and imprisoned yeah even killed for certain words that they yeah. said and, and, and yet there is no debate yeah actually yeah there's no debate about that and so you know what you maybe from your perspective as what you probably need to look at is why the focus only upon mainly Muslims in this topic area? Why is there a lack of focus with regards to, for example, the cancel culture that exists now within the West? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly I was not condoning any of those. Um, uh, I'm not trying to single out any particular particular group uh, for being oversensitive because that's you know that's something that's we see a, across the board, especially. You know, there are certain communities who, who want anybody who questions them to be cancelled. So, you know, I'm, I'm against all of that. But, you know, I'm just saying that um, when you look at the fact, when you have a factual element. So when somebody um, when somebody commits libel or slander and they get taken to court, the first thing they do is they look at whether it's a factual statement. So, um, you know, when you look at Alex Jones or someone else, when they're taken to court, uh, when they say something, it's the fact that they've been proven wrong. That's that's the court decides and then awards damages. Now, if you say something um, offensive, but it's accurate, then, um, then then you don't get fined for that. Yes. So that's different. So you, you're saying this as if we are, we haven't already made it quite clear. Yeah, I, I know you, I'm just making my point. Yeah, so we've made a distinction between genuine critique and just all out mockery. So, for example, if, if someone is to say, oh, the Prophet Muhammad had nine wives, and a Muslim gets offended by that, we as Muslims would simply say, no, that is not an uncontroversial fact yeah. about Islam. And we would be the first to point out to people who are acting uh, irrationally in this case and being offended, quote unquote, and trying to get in the way of that. And, and we would say, no, this isn't a, uh, a valid reason to yeah. be offended. The person so has simply stated something factual. But there, there is a distinction between that and someone who's saying, uh, oh, all you Muslims are this, your prophets are that, blah, 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 blah. and they're not, there's no intention here to engage in a discussion. There's no intention here to just quote unquote state facts. It's the, the intention is specifically to push buttons. And I, and I think it is relatively easy to notice that. And I think, I, I don't know if you saw that um, documentary, What is a Woman? Yeah, I've watched it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bit where he's he's like he's just sat down. He's just asking questions, hmm. yeah. And, and the questions themselves are reasonable questions. Yeah. And the people that are responding to that are taking the opportunity to avoid answering them by getting offended. Now that is a dishonest engagement in that case because the person is using this as a shield. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, there, yeah. 
and so I, you know, if, if we were to find Muslims doing that, where someone's asking certain questions, um, and they're just jumping on the getting offended thing, hmm. despite the fact that it, it appears to be a sincere case of engaging in a dialogue, um, th then that's not the same thing as yeah, no. as. Open but we made that quite clear a number of times. Esan, so, Esan, do you think that... Sorry, I've not met you before, Esan, but um, right. you know the point Sharif made about Ken Livingston and uh, the Hitler using Zionists to promote his expulsion of Jews from Germany is a historical point. Um, you can call it factual, or you can call it a historical argument, yes? Um, but either way, most people would say that's something that deserves to be engaged with. And those are the kinds of examples that Yusuf was saying, that yeah, if people yeah. raise those answers, our, our issues to Muslims, we need to engage with that argument. So actually the book, The Satanic Verses, the title alludes to a spurious incident, spurious story that Orientalists that attack Islam have, have tried to recycle over many times over the years and Rushdie used it as a literary tool in his book mm. and actually Muslim scholars many times over the years have just whacked it away for six with their arguments so I don't think that's an issue for us yeah, I'll, no, we've give you an, I'll give Do you I... an analogy I'll give you an analogy with the, with, the, with the example of Hitler and the sensitivity over Jews mm. if Shakespeare or Dickens was writing today and they caricatured people like the uh, Shylock in The Merchant of Venice as being a money collector mm. that wanted his pound of flesh as Jewish, or, or Fagin as the money-grabbing criminal uh, as being Jewish. That would be unacceptable as a literary device in, in today's, as, as a literary style. Okay? Yeah, because I mean, times it, change because you've it, got the stereotyping Jewish people with a very pejorative type of label as being yeah. money grabbing uh, 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 and, and, and criminal and exploitative, etc. etc. Right, would be yeah. unacceptable. Yeah, right. I mean, can I just respond? The, the book, the book, the satanic verses, this is where your argument falls down because you're talking about fiction. All right, yeah. and Rushdie's defense is this is fiction, and the supporters of Rushdie's defense is this is fiction, this is make believe. It's like the movie at the end, which says, you know, none of the characters in this represent anyone factually real. Okay, yeah. but it's in the end, it's blatantly an attack on the prophet, yeah. peace be upon him, and his family in a really nasty way. Um, sure. In the same way, in the same way that that Shakespeare would have very deliberately used Shylock as a Jewish character, okay? Mm. Because because in Elizabethan England, Jews yeah. were I looked mean, down upon, okay? Yeah. So so here here you have a different reality. It's a it's much harder to pin down what makes people uncomfortable. It's much easier for the author or the you know the the filmmaker to yeah. to deny that they actually meant anything by it okay yeah. but um it's nonetheless sure. okay it, i mean I, I go back can i just respond uh, i'm saying we're in you know we're in different times now um even if you know e even like 50 years ago you had the basil faulty faulty towers sketch about the germans that wouldn't be allowed now and a lot of uh, modern comedians now say they can't make the jokes they made 20 or 30 years ago so 
that that's just like a fortunate that's just a general progression of society of how it is secondly you know i'm just i'm not defending um Salman Rushdie, because uh, I know that's that that was a book, um, and he said it's fictional. I'm only just uh, just just trying to make the point of uh, with where factual statements are concerned. And I just want to ask: Is there anything? one question? Is there is there anything that uh, you'd be offended by about? So, if someone said about the Prophet Muhammad, um, if it was factual. So no. So Esan, the issue is this: is uh, just as this on this point, because in the in in the British legal system, the British legal system doesn't look at whether a statement is factual and not factual and convict on that basis only. They also convict on basis of grossly offensive material. Yeah. So, for example, the there was a conviction of a person called Azhar Ahmed, and he was convicted under the public order offence because he said about on his Facebook. Uh, profile page, whatever he said, British soldiers in Afghanistan should die and go to hell. Yeah, and the judge basically, in his statement, he uh, when he convicted him, he said it was for grossly offensive communications. And there's numerous examples of this. I think there's an example of of another person in uh, in Manchester. There was a, a, about eight nine years ago. There was two police officers who were killed in Ra uh, not Ratcliffe uh, near Glossop. Oh, it might have been Ratcliffe. Was it Ratcliffe, yourself? There's one in Manchester. The what? The two women who were killed. Yeah, yeah, two women police officers. Yeah. And the a, a person called Barry Threw. He had a shirt which was de derogatory uh, towards the police in the in the aftermath mm. of that, and basically insulting, uh, you know, you know, basically mocking those two police officers who were killed. And he was convicted, mm. and I think he got eight months in jail for it. And again, the judge basically said that it was because it, it, it contradicted, uh, you know, it, it, it was because of the grossly offensive uh, nature of the statement and the timing of the statement. Yeah. So it's got nothing. So what I'm trying to say but is these examples demonstrate. Yeah, so these, these, examples, these examples are not to do with it's a, a, a non-factual statement and it's slanderous against X, Y, Z. These are statements are perceived as contradicting what the values and the norms of the society are and are perceived as grossly offensive and therefore are convicted under the Public Order Act in the UK. So it's not yeah. just what, but, you I know, mean, it's an infactual statement and therefore yeah. it's slanderous. Yeah, there's also, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree with you part, a lot there, but there's also like a public interest um, um, element to um, a lot of these uh, where sometimes a, a comment could be, you know, even if it is a, um, offensive, if there's a, you know, a factual truth that could be a benefit to society, then uh, that, that would counteract that. Yeah, it might counteract it if there's a public, if there's a yeah. legitimate argument to say, OK, the reason why I'm saying this is because there's a benefit to society. But I just want to give you another example. There was a person, sure. another one who, and, and I want to read out the statement of the, the chairman of the bench. Yeah, uh, there's a person called Matthew Woods, and he was sentenced to 12 weeks in prison because he, he, did, he engaged in a sick joke. Uh, related to uh, a girl who was five years old and went recently went missing, April Jones, yeah, and mm. was believed to have been murdered. And the chairman of the bench, Bill Hudson, stated, the reason for the sentence is the seriousness of the offence, the public outrage that has been caused, and we felt there was no other sentence this court, court could pass which conveys to you the abhorrence that many in society feel this crime should receive. So he made a joke, a sick joke, yeah about a five-year-old girl who went missing, was believed to be murdered, 
and he was put in prison for three months. And the reason what he said, the reason of the chairman of the bench in the in the sentencing was to say because of how the abhorrence that many in society feel. Yeah. yeah. Regardless yeah, well, of the sick joke. Anyway, that's not really free speech, though. That's not really free speech. Of course it's not free speech. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, sorry. Is my is my mic working or yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Just switched off. Um, yeah, so um there was a pensioner called Harry Hammond, who was a Christian, and he he put out a sign in Bournemouth. He was preaching in Bournemouth, he put out some signs saying, Stop immorality stop homosexuality and stop lesbianism and Jesus is Lord. So he was convicted under a public order, Section 5 of the Public Order Act uh, in, in Law of England and Wales. This is convic convicted, um, sentenced to a fine in this particular case, not jail time. Um, but my point is this, you mentioned what something, you said the general progression of society or the public interest. Uh, yeah, those are two the, separate the, the, things. The I know. But the issue is this, that these statements are not statements of um, fact per se, but most statements that, or if not all statements that cause offense or, or, or insult are meant, are actually moral statements. You are saying something is bad, something is mm. wrong, something is detestable, something is good, what, what have you. So someone praising the Holocaust would be making a positive statement about something that was bad, right? And of course, yeah. as we would view it, um, someone attacking the Prophet Muhammad uh, and, his, and his honor would be making a bad statement about someone who was great, righteous, and noble. So oh, in this sense... That's debatable this, according to some, but yeah. Well, as I said, but, but uh, moral statements in, uh, obviously are not empirically verifiable in of themselves, right? No moral statement is empirically verifiable. But that's why it's, it's morality, it's ethics, is a different branch of, of studying humans, uh, uh, human uh, knowledge than, yeah. than sciences. So exactly. my point is... Yeah, my point is so this, you, that you say somebody is great, you know, that that's that becomes your subjective opinion. That's that fine. But, but my point is this, that if um, someone makes a gratuitous insult, which is in essence a type of moral statement, but it's a type of moral statement that is aimed at um, at denigrating and insulting, not just making moral moral arguments. Right. It's aimed at denigrating. And if you say that the measure of good and bad of moral statements is simply whatever society thinks it is at any point in time, uh, that's a very mercurial, very uh, capricious, and uh, very unfounded basis to judge good and bad on, and to judge whether people should be punished for. This is whatever the majority of society thinks is good about any, any point in time. Well, mm. I, I don't want to be cliche about this, but yeah. we can point to 20th century uh, popular opinions about certain minorities, or I could point to uh, 21st century opinions about um, us as a minority, and, and, and you see where there are majorities of people who have very negative thoughts about those minorities. And according to uh, what's implied, maybe not, not what you, you, don't, you don't believe, but you're, it's, it's, there's an mm. implication there that if yeah. the, the majority makes right, right? And I simply can't ex respect that as someone who no. has committed objective truth as a Muslim. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, um, I mean, so if I could just say a main point. Firstly, I don't believe there is some... Um, it's truth, but I don't think it's just sorry. I'm sorry you yeah, said. I'm going to say farewell because I, I need to get to bed, um, so, and I, I don't want to wait a bit longer. So I'll just say bye now, uh, and then no um, problem. Just yourself, inshallah. Does that mean I'm in charge? Or You're in now boss man. You're fully boss oh, man, inshallah. Uh, okay, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> All right, so yeah, just So going, Hassan, you're going to say.
Yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, I was going to say um, just just follow up to what um, you know that Abdullah, what you said. You know, it's a lot of useful information there. Uh, but what I'm saying is not just about majority. These things are extremely complex. There's uh, you know there's rules against gratuitous insult where there's no benefit um, to you know to people that just causes offence without any uh, public interest. And there's that, and that's got a counterplay against you know if there is any public interest if there's um, and what's factual or not so um and also uh, it's just trying to say it is it is a very difficult area and you've got like ethics people who are working in this um and so you know really um, um my point is um so as i said at the beginning um you know when it comes to historical people um i think people we should they, people should be allowed to say something factual um if they can um back it up and also even even current things because you know you can um so, could, exactly. so for example, let's say you've got a hist so let's say you've got a historian like he studies uh, the Holocaust. He says it was from his perspective because we know if anyone who studies history generally knows there's a high degree of subjectivity within it. They're trying to recreate yeah. something that doesn't exist, and he says, "Well, it was impossible for six million Jews to be killed. Um, that uh, it was far lower number." And he makes that statement in Austria, or he makes that statement in Germany, or he makes that statement in France. And he's convicted. You'd say what about that? Because it's a historical well, I'd say, event. If he's, I'd say, if he's saying it as a historical statement, he should be provided. Uh, he should be. Able, he should provide his sources. That should be open. And the best way to yeah. So that, he does that. Yeah. Yeah. The best way to counter that would be to get them to show their sources and get other historians to show theirs, and then that's how you defeat the argument. I don't think. Yeah, that, but Assange, sending that Assange, person this, to prison. But this is the point: is, is that actually the law exists in these countries to put them in prison, and not just that. But as Abdullah's mentioned, is that you wouldn't even have a program on any of the mainstream media in the UK that would allow such a debate to occur about that. David Irving wouldn't be able to go out and produce a documentary in regards to this because there is a perception within this is where the society is in terms of its views and values and what they see as acceptable and not acceptable. And therefore, if it goes outside of that, it's considered unacceptable and therefore mm. offensive and the person will be banned he'll be restricted from society etc yeah. etc et mm. and in certain places he may be convicted and yeah. if somebody goes up and punches that person by the way yeah like david irving a jewish person yeah. who says you offended me because my grandparents uh, died in the holocaust people probably wouldn't bat an eyelid in the violence that would have taken place against him either some wouldn't though but and also i'm just saying when you talk about tv programs i mean they've got commercial concerns as well so they you know they've got sponsors to keep happy so they, they don't want controversial things that's yeah. just to put that in so, the mix as well so yeah. i think we can we can sort of come to a common agreement which is that free speech doesn't exist it's based upon uh, a lot of what you would say complex mm. factors but fundamentally it's based upon what people value as mm. something sacred and for the west they have their values that they believe which mm. are sacred which they don't want to see criticized and condemned and Muslims also have the same thing as well. Yeah, um, I, I would I would also add that free speech doesn't exist even according to the Enlightenment founding fathers' argument, like, like uh, John Locke, who simply said that the freedom is just basically being under a, a state system where you're not subject to the unknowable and uh, mercurial uh, whims of the dictator or the leader, what have you. Mm. Um, so, in, in if in English law and in America and so on, what is you know, obscenity is very vague and it's relied upon by what the current society at any point in time thinks is is obscene and, and likewise in the uk mm. 
offense is judged by whatever society deems it to be the case, yeah. um, which can vary depending on which uh, community you're in, that you could say something thinking, well, um, I'm free to say, Azar Ahmed, you know, uh, could, you know, sees Facebook posts where people say that, you know, um, uh, condemning the, pro the prophets of Islam to hell by, you know, and so on and so forth. Mm. And he said, well, I, I could then, one, at the very least, I, can, I could say British soldiers should go to hell if, if that's allowable in this country, because people say things against Muslims, against our prophets and in the same vein. So, and then he gets prosecuted, but all the people yeah. don't. So what this means is that we have a, an inconsistent uh, system of uh, of punishment based on what you what you what, yeah. who are you and whether society doesn't like you in a particular I minority. Agree. And this is a very definition of actually being not free because you don't I know mean, what the I, rules are. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There is an inconsistency. I mean, imagine if you're in a Muslim majority country, uh, there are things you could that, that would be allowed to people could say about other religions that wouldn't be allowed to be said against Islam. So. Well, the thing is, obviously, Hassan, uh, one of the things that as Muslims we, we hold on to is this idea that we shouldn't insult other people's gods uh, hmm. in, in a gratuitous way. We, we, we're allowed to engage in debate and dialogue and discussion, just like they're allowed to debate against our belief system. But uh, the, the idea of being gratuitous in insults, uh, this is mentioned in Surah uh, chapter number 6, verse 108. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in, in the translation, he says, And do not insult those who invoke other than Allah, lest they insult Allah in enmity without knowledge. So this idea of this environment of insults creates this tit-for-tat culture is not an environment which is productive to debate and seek out the truth. Yeah. So it's not uh, but there is that disbalance, yeah. There may be a disbalance. Well, I, I don't imbalance. know whether I think every society is going to have values that they're going to preserve. Yeah. yeah? But I think the difference is, is that what you have within uh, an Islamic society when it was applied is you had an environment in which you had debates and discussions taking place against atheists uh, with Muslims. You had people like John the Baptist who was writing books criticizing the fact that Muslims have got it wrong about the preservation of the Bible uh, and critiquing that. So, you know, you had this uh, vibrant engagement between Muslims and non-Muslims within the society, you don't have that same level within Western society. Yes, we may have things like Facebook, but there's certain things that we can't talk about, or it's very difficult to talk about, or you're likely, if you get too popular when you talk about it, you're going to get removed uh, from the platforms, you know. Uh, so it becomes very difficult uh, in this society to have honest, open engagements and debates and discussions in the pursuit of truth. But Hassan, Jazak, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having for me on again. Coming Thanks. on, bye -bye. no problem. Appreciate that. Thanks, bye. Sharif, I, I, I was sent a very nice quote by somebody today, uh, by Voltaire, from his treatise on tolerance. Um, and it says, um, let us reach out from our narrow little sphere for a moment and examine what goes on in the rest of the globe. The Turkish prince, for example, rules peacefully over 20 races of different religious convictions. 200,000 Greeks live in Constantinople in perfect safety. This empire is stuffed with Jacobites, Nestorians, Monothelites, Coptics, Christians of St. John, Jews, Gerbers, and Banians. I've heard of them. Uh, the annals of Turkey bear no record of a result, revolt raised by any of these religious communities. Go to India, Persia, or Tartary, and you will find the same evidence of tolerance and mutual respect. 
uh, I don't know what the data that is, but it's it's referenced as Voltaire's Treatise on Tolerance, Cambridge University Press 2000, page 20 to 21. Um, and this is not by accident. It's by the design of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger in the Hakam Sharia that they gave, the rules from Islam. So this ayah that you quoted, uh, all the ayat of Quran that talk about backbiting, not slandering, uh, all the hadith that talk about these matters, uh, all the hadith that talk about dealing justly with the Ahlul Dhimma, which means the non-Muslim citizens in the Islamic State, uh, it might even be the majority or they could be the minority, uh, 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 but uh, the point being that uh, actually when you look at what works in terms of societal harmony, there is a problem in the West at the moment. I mean, even when you look at political expression, America, Britain, Europe, never been so polarized in my life. I mean, literally political opponents hate each other. Um, so uh, I think, you know, when people big up free speech, they look at it all from the individualistic perspective about what an individual should be allowed to do and what could harm another individual. They don't look at it from the societal. And Islam looks at things from the societal. The Prophet said in one hadith, narrated in Bukhari, in the translation, in the meaning, and the gist of it, just for time, uh, that a community is like a boat with an upper deck and a lower deck. If people on the lower deck try to get their water by drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat, wouldn't the people on the upper deck try and stop them? Meaning the actions of individuals can sink the whole ship. And, and so it is with a society. Um, and, and we could look at that in many ways. We're talking about speech. We could look about on sexual behavior, on financial behavior, on all kinds of things. But, but actually we're talking about speech. And, yeah, if everyone goes around saying what they want, well, that's incontinence of speech, basically, yeah? It's not, it's not holding, it's not controlling yourself and saying what's right and wrong. It's just incontinence. It's just saying what you want to say, whenever you want to say it. And rather like somebody who's incontinent, you'll make a bit of a mess of things and make the environment around you really quite unhealthy and quite unhygienic. Um, so, uh, yeah, th this, is, uh, this is, I think, a, a, a stark contrast to uh, yeah. the approach that we've discussed predominantly today. I know, I agree. And I think what it is is that a lot of people in the West, yeah, yeah, even many non-Muslims, sort of recognize that there's growing distrust, there's, you know, social, uh, you know, there's a lack of social cohesion, there's a lack of respect, there's a lack of... There seems to be a problem, this polarization of views, there's this massive problem of do you trust people in authority, all these types of things. And I think a lot of this is down to the fact that certain values are creating this type of environment within society, which is not really conducive to how human beings should live. Uh, we've got friendly Muslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Oh, wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah uh sorry brothers i'm a little bit nervous i don't normally get nervous but uh, uh i'm a bit nervous with such esteemed uh panelists here and, what, what's uh, your name friendly muslim or 
I, I go by friendly, friendly Muslim. Yeah, no, I, I go in Jordan Air. You just and, sound uh, familiar. I don't know why you sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I normally uh, I'm on Jordan M uh, when he has okay, open I'm panels. I, I normally speak That's there good. and um, uh, EA Dower and uh, I, I speak on there also uh, quite often. And uh, yeah. I've been doing the rounds today, speaking to some uh, ex-Muslim channels um, also okay. and some atheist channels. Uh, in regards to uh, uh, free speech uh, and obviously the Salman Rushdie um, situation also. Um, and it brought about some interesting topics uh, regarding free speech. Um, and also as Muslims, uh, do we need to uh, speak out and condemn these uh, situations when they happen, whenever they happen? Uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, an ex-Muslim... Uh, wrote a, a tweet saying, uh, "If your if your neighbour is a Muslim, ask him about how they feel about uh, Salman Rushdie. And if they don't speak about it, then their silence means they're complicit." Uh, which I took great offence to, um, and and that's where it became a, a topic of conversation. Now, obviously, my position is I um, said that the Muslim councils, uh, both here in the UK and abroad, have condemned uh, the attack, um, and that's the position I'm, I'm taking on that, uh, and that would be the Islamic view also. Um, so I just wanted your feedback, brothers, in regards to um, you know the things I mentioned here, how, how you feel um, about that, and whether I'm taking the right position. Abdul Wahid, brother. So I would say, first of all, I don't think even the Muslim councils in Britain or in America would say that they are offering a, an Islamic verdict when they comment. They usually comment in the interest of what they think is best for community relations, really. Um, there's a very important book, uh, which is translated into English, which is called abbreviated title is Ashifa of Qadi Iyad. Qadi Iyad is a classical scholar from uh, Andalusia um, who wrote this book about the Prophet Sallallahu rights. Um, the rights that we as a, as a Muslim Ummah owe him in terms of following his sunnah, in terms of loving him, and in terms of the legal verdicts on the ones who disparage him. And uh, you can read there the detailed details of the legal verdict. Uh, they're almost all capital punishment, okay? Um, and uh, and cursing in the akhirah, all right? So severe cursing by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the akhirah and dealing them in the dunya through capital punishment, okay? So... Now, I don't really want to talk about the nitty-gritty of Rushdie, and because, you know, when you get into the fatwa coming from Khomeini, when you get into the details of what he wrote, when you get into the issue of vigilantism, you get into very messy kind of territory, right? Suffice to say that if the Islamic system was established as it was, uh, it is amongst the worst crimes that can be committed to insult the Prophet Sallallahu in terms of worldly punishment and punishment in the hereafter. So 
I mean, if the, I don't know. This guy hasn't admitted that he's done it. He's pleaded not guilty. We have no clear motive from him. Uh, my guess is he probably is motivated by the fatwa from what we hear in the media, but Allah knows best. But, you know, if the guy was a jealous husband and had assaulted somebody that had insulted the Prophet honestly, I won't be shedding any tears for him. Yeah, because for the, for the, for the one who insulted the Prophet because I have no sympathy for him, whether he was mugged in an alley or whether he was attacked by a jealous husband or somebody else. And if people think that's strange, then I'll give you an analogy. What if somebody mugged George W. Bush and assaulted him? What if somebody threw something harmful at Donald Trump? Yeah. Lots of people might come out and say, oh, it shouldn't have been done. It's not right. It's not legal. We shouldn't be violent. Actually, there'll be a whole load of people out there that really couldn't care less because they just don't like them for various political reasons. What if it was somebody who had insulted your most beloved in the most worst possible way? If something happened to them, they were in a car accident or something, you wouldn't necessarily shed any tears over them if they really personally injured somebody that was your most beloved. So I don't think really um, we need to get bogged down into saying, you know, well, it's, you know, my sympathies go out to him and stuff like this, and it's terrible, and uh, we condemn this action and stuff like this. Frankly, I don't condemn the actions that happen to a, a lot of good people or, or, or normal people out there who've done me no harm or no injury. Why I need to get into this about somebody that really has insulted my prophet, um, uh, I, don't, I don't see why. I, I think... And that's the way I put it, to be frank with you. That's the way I did put it. I've had non-Muslims who call themselves friends who don't like that, don't agree with me. So be it. Yeah, so be it. I, I, I can't. I, I'm much better that they hear the truth from my mouth than they hear, you know, that, that I just hide something. Um, I, I hope that's a fair answer, basically. Also, to add to that is that why are we being made to condemn the actions of someone else? It's just one individual. He did his action. We, we didn't elect him. We, we didn't have a, an elections and we elected him the representative of all Muslims that we now have to be accountable for that. But guess what? Right? Politicians in the West who go and order the, in essence, operations that lead to the killing of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And people in the West say, well, you know, it wasn't our choice. It was our politicians, even though they elected them. Right. So people in the West get far less accountability. Non-Muslims in the West get far less accountability. What their elected officials do and Muslims get um, full on accountability for what people we don't control. We didn't order and we didn't uh, elect them. They don't represent us do. So that double standard really needs to be exposed there some would say the, the collective blame against muslims is a trope of um, demonization of a minority uh, whereas in, in the western the majority non-muslims that can do stuff and it's all just an individual it's just bad apples individual just individuals doing it or just a politician doing it we didn't choose it and so on and so forth and they get they um escape responsibility when in those cases when their positions are elected by them and are meant to represent them so 
I just want to highlight that double standards, basically. Friendly Muslim, do you want to respond or? Yeah, no, no. I, it, you can it's, it's something I, I pon. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, uh, um, it, it's something I am in the middle of. Um, you know that. Fine, I am uh, public in terms of voicing my opinion, so um, I I do, and I I feel there is a uh, an imbalance, for example. So yes, some Muslim councils have condemned it. Uh, they're not getting the exposure uh, as much as the attacker is in terms of in the press, etc. Um, you know, it's a it's a ten to three scenario where these stories are yeah, are but not br being brother, brother, do you not think? Whenever these attacks take place, whether it's supposed, you know, whether it's terrorist attacks in the UK, you know, the term terrorism is a highly politicized term, but whether that's or in any part of the world or whether it is these types of attacks or whatever it is, you hear a chorus of Muslim groups, organizations, imams constantly being told that they have to condemn it and they constantly do condemn it. I think now what you're finding with a lot of Muslims is they're tired even many even islamic organizations are tired of having to constantly condemn because even when they condemn it they get told they're not condemning it enough yeah or you get islamophobes who turn around and say nobody condemns it they're all condoning it so it's it's a futile act i mean that's the point it's a futile act we're constantly being told to do it it's what abdullah said earlier as well which is it creates this idea of collective guilt that we're all collectively guilty on behalf of one individual and therefore we have to all come out and basically say we condemn it and i think uh, there's numerous examples i think we've given here where people have been executed killed uh for what they've said not what they did what they said because it was seen as grossly offensive yeah and uh in the west and you don't find people who uh you know hold on to secular liberal capitalist values turning around and saying uh, and being questioned about whether they condemn this action or that action, they they just don't do it. And, and I think um, as Muslims, we should be quite. I think we should be quite clear, and we should just turn around and say, "Look, this is our views. These are why we believe that certain values should be preserved. We believe all all states have values that they want to preserve. All peoples have values that they see as sacred. What we see as sacred is built upon our belief in Islam. We believe we've got good." strong justifiable rational reasons why we believe uh, it, it's uh, it's correct and therefore if now the creator tells us we should preserve these values then that is set in stone for us as muslims it's not by the whims as abdullah mentioned earlier with to Hassan, uh, who's an ex-muslim uh, you know at the moment what's considered grossly offensive is the current you know societal tastes yeah go back 10 years ago talking about trannies and you know transsexuals and all that type of thing was fair game in terms of mocking them or joking about them now that's it you'll be cancelled you know if you're a teacher you'll be sacked yeah uh, you could even potentially be prosecuted under the public order offense all of these things so what we have and i think that's where the discussion needs to be the discussion shouldn't be about do you believe this act was a good thing or a bad thing the, the discussion needs to be are there values that we seek to defend in any site? If the answer is yes, the next question, 
who sets those values and how do we determine what those values, how do we determine that those values are the values that should be protected? And that becomes a discussion back to the Aqid of Islam and why we adopt the particular belief system that we have as opposed to, you know, somebody who holds a different belief system. Yeah. You know, the irony is, is that a lot of these, some of these people who criticize like Muslims on, on these types of issues about, you know, holding the honor of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam are people who hold to different religious beliefs, Christians. Uh, and you think, you know, they would understand and appreciate how there's certain values that should be uh, sanctified in terms of religious values. But they don't do that uh, because ultimately they hold on to secular values. And those are the issues that we need to question. So I think that's how I would approach this type of discussion as opposed to having to defend ourselves against the accusations that you're all secretly happy and, you know, rubbing your hands. And, and I think as Abdul Wahid made a very nice point, if somebody really insulted me and really did something really bad and some misfortune happened to him, I wouldn't care. Yeah. So I think maybe that's yeah, a, no, a no, way no, of looking I, at it. Yeah. I take that on board because actually part of that was underneath uh, the, the post, people are saying, well, you're, you're, you, you don't really mean it. Uh, you, you know, it's Takia. Yeah. You're, you know, so I, I was like, well, what's the point in condemning when we're, we're getting uh, attacked for condemning it um, and saying we don't yeah. really mean it? You know, so which one is it? And so I spoke out and I said, well, listen, if I do speak out and I do tweet about it, then I don't want anybody putting any nonsense under my, my, my tweet, basically saying I don't really mean it. You know, if people are standing up and, and saying it, and yes, I agree with you that we also have to, uh, you're right, that when we do condemn it also, we're not uh, appreciated in, in any way for doing so, or we're then attacked for not doing it. We enough. need to shift the debate. The point being is this, we need to shift the debate away from, do you condemn it, do you not condemn it, to why should we adhere to these values of free speech that you keep promoting when it comes to a attacking Islam or religions generally, but Islam most uh, in particular. But then you completely sacrifice the idea of free speech when it comes to people who are against vaccinations, as an example, yeah, or against a particular COVID vaccination. So, you know, we need to shift the debate away from this very politicized debate about how the Muslim community should be responding, because we keep getting told how we should be responding this way, and move it into a debate about the values that are going to be conducive to society yeah, we have a set of values as Muslims. We believe Islam is true. We believe we can rationally justify it. But not only that, but the values that Islam produces within society are conducive for all human beings, whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim as well. So that, I think, is where we need to engage the, uh, the debate and the discussion, shift the frame of reference. So if this ex-Muslim guy is going around saying, you know, speak to your Muslim neighbor and ask him what do they think, then you should turn around and say, why? Why would you do that? Let's look at what you really think about free uh, free speech. Do you really value it 100%? Can I show you examples? Uh, can I show the example of when Sheikh Ahmed Yassin was uh, uh, executed extrajudicially based upon what he was saying? Are you going to condemn that? Why don't you condemn that? Why do you justify these types of Why are you not outside you know, British Parliament condemning Julian Assange's potential extradition? You know, what, what is it? Is it just because you've just got this hatred for Islam and Muslims that, you know, you've got one thing that they can sort of, you know, popularize against Muslims in terms of their attacks and their demonizations? So I, you need to shift the debate. And I think that shift of debate 
I think comes with a, a high degree of awareness of what they are trying to push the Muslims into when they start asking them questions about condemnation. Yeah, they want us make us feel weak, small. We've got something to apologize. We're collectively guilty. You know that their their value system is the the benchmark that everything should be judged by, and therefore, it, you know that's what they're trying to do when they ask this question. And we want to change that discussion, at least amongst our, our at least our own social circles, as best as possible. I mean, so I think, is that I think, more education? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, it is. It is more education, Rob. But I think you know when Shrews is changing the debate, I think that's right. But I also think, I mean. It, you know, one thing people hate is when politicians don't give a straight answer. Um, and I don't want to be like that. I don't think we should be like that. So I think, honestly, before you change the debate, say something like, look, if the guy who knifed Rushdie is beaten up in prison, do you think there'll be many people that will be sympathizing with him? Right? Get real. Like, if you don't like someone for some reason, you're not going to sympathize when some harm comes. Now let's talk about the real issue, which is why you guys judge everything according to your standard, why you think that somehow somebody that insults the prophet of Islam deserves a level of protection that you don't give to somebody that is anti-Semitic or anti-Black or somebody who um, uh, uh, attacks the nation state even. In, in most of these countries, the highest level of loyalty you're expected to show is to your own nation state which is why somebody like edward snowden's like in trouble you don't have freedom of loyalty to whichever nation state you like you can't just transfer your freedom of loyal political allegiance to different countries you're called a traitor if you do right as as muslims the prophet is the highest thing for us after allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it's so central to our deen. Don't be surprised if the level of emotion we invest in that is that high, because that's the reality, right? And, and all this argument about free speech, the right to insult, nobody has the right not to be offended. It's nonsense. Loads of people have the right not to be offended. And so many laws and policies, all your diversity training that you're given at work is all based around the fact that you don't want to offend and uh, do anything unjust to people. So I think uh, there's some untruths some, some really, it's, it's disingenuous a lot of this debate. And so I think understanding that and being able to voice that, honestly, is, is not a bad thing. I think if we can shift that, it will be very good. No, uh, friend just, Muslim, uh, yeah. if you want to just, uh, I don't know if you got a last point that you want to quickly make before we move yeah, on. Yeah, no, to the no, next I just want want to want to thank thank you for that because uh, it's um, obviously rethinking my my understanding of how to tackle the situation and the conversations that I'm having. And again, I, I welcome that the education and knowledge that you bring to these streams uh, will help uh, us voice and deal with these situations and change those conversations. So, inshallah, I hope there are other streams where, um, that is of, of benefit that helps us uh, look at it differently, reshape the, the paradigm and uh, change the conversation and uh, intellectually be able to um, talk about the points that, you, that you've mentioned. So, Shazakla, here was 
and it's been an honour to to speak to you and uh, share a platform with you. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, Sharif, uh, would it be uh, uh, would it be inappropriate if I if I uh, made my excuses soon, or I don't know how we've only got two more guests, Abdul Wahid. Okay, it's okay, I'll stay. There's two, two more, more guests. We'll try and make it quick as well. Just be, before we go to Inshallah. our next guest, Arsalan, I just want to read out this uh, uh, chat that super chat I think somebody sent us uh, from uh, Gandaria uh, 007. Who are the ones who hold the standards of free speech? There is truly no free speech. Our values and our reverence for our Prophet وسلم, is the reason why hate speech about him elicits a severe reaction. Uh, but only the uh, ignorant act upon it, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's yeah, uh, Brother Marshall, I just okay for the uh, comment. So, Arsalan, uh, Assalamu alaikum. Uh, if you uh, want to raise your point, question, comment. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, Dr. Abdullah, I'm a big fan. I, I'm a big fan of your debates. I, my favorite one is um, the one that you did with uh, Cosmic Skeptic on atheism. So I wanted to say thank you for that one. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to raise a point for uh, uh, the, the stabbing that one happened with Salman Rushdie. Um, I've, I've seen so many... Um, like I actually live in Canada. I'm actually from Pakistan, but I I live in Canada, and I've seen so many news channels like CNN, ABC, uh, you know, all the mainstream uh, news channels that are really broadcasting this and making it some sort of like uh, you know like an attack on free speech or like it's like the worst absolute worst thing that ha- has happened to people um, uh, in a while, right? So uh, I just wanted to say like uh, what are your thoughts on that? And um, I just wanted to also make some points as well. Um, we're we're actually like uh, um, very sensitive to these sort of events that sort of happen in the West for sure, but people don't really make a, a point about like uh, uh, stuff that you can't do in the West. For example, like burning the Union flag or burning um, uh, poppies on a Remembrance Day, for instance, in the, in the November. So uh, I just wanted to see if, what are your thoughts on that one. And uh, we're also I just want to want to say that uh, we're also. Um, told to condemn everything and everything all the time and i think it just gets sort of exhausting having to always be the first ones there and um condemning anything that uh happens to um sort of the public figures like solman uh, Rushdie. uh even though his his work um I, I i do not agree with it but the thing is he he published that knowing very well that there will be a community that will get offended by this so is it is it sort of like a big ass to say that he sort of it is possible that people will get a negative reaction to it in a way that it sort of promotes like sort of some sort of violent reaction or some sort of uh, hateful reaction. So I just wanted to see if, uh, what are your opinions on that. Oh, okay. So you're you're asking us concerning when people say that they make this a defense of free speech matter. They say that stabbing of Salman Rushdie is a free speech matter. Um, well, then they'd have to say everything is a free speech matter because there are consequences for people's speech every single day in their lives. So, and people lose jobs because of their so-called free speech. Um, uh, people get attacked on the street because they get into an argument and they insult someone and then they get brutalized or even killed over an argument because of their free speech. But you don't see them being made martyrs of free speech. 
It's only when in a secular environment, it's only when someone attacks religion um, uh, that they are lionized if they ever have any consequence of any kind for attacking religion. Um, there, there are people who, um, who, who do not even face violent backlash. They just face social backlash. Or, and um, some ex-Muslims, uh, former Christians, former whoever, this, oh, uh, because we criticize that this religion used to be part of, uh, we were ostracized by our community. And I was, oh, poor people, look at them, they're, they're champions of free speech. It's like, well, look, you know, we have to be, we have to be forced to be your friend after you attack our belief and you've left it. I mean, why must we be forced to be, to be uh, chummy with you afterwards? They're like, no, we're not going to interfere with you, but like, at least give us the, perhaps the the respect to uh to, to be able to choose our, our friendship circle if you're going to attack our on our core belief so um uh, all speech has consequences and if someone is truly arguing for a consequenceless right to speak uh then they should go to a desert island and live by themselves that's the only time your your speech will not have consequences oh, and by the way if the desert island has predators uh, maybe you speaking will will, will be uh, listened to by a predator, and that will know where your position is, and it will kill you. So, so even in the wild, uh, you you don't have free speech per se. You have to be quiet if there's a predator around. So that's the thing is, is that yeah, you can't live without consequences. Um, uh, no human being can, whether it's losing your job, social ostracism. Um, certainly, try try criticizing, you know, for example, transgender uh, campaigns or or even uh, voice uh, an opinion about corporations seemingly having to support, uh, you know, like gay pride parades and you know Pride Month or Pride Week or whatever it was. Just simply say, like, why the why are corporations doing this? Um, uh, why do they see the need to do this? Just simply, you know, raise that and see how far you get in your job, or um, if you raise that in, to your fellow coworkers, or see how far you get um, generally in society if you're if you're a known individual, um, and so you know, so. That's the thing. That there's always consequences, and if they try to argue that there should be no consequences, um, then uh, they're they're outside reality. And of course, they what they really want is no consequences at all, social, moral, um, or what have you, for criticizing religion particularly. But they yeah. they're totally happy with consequences for uh, depending on which country they're from and what they are, uh, criticizing the state they're living in or the or the, na the the nation, the president. Um, them, their reputation and themselves, they, they'll sue you in court, they'll threaten to sue you in court. Um, uh, and, and of course, pe telling people to lose their jobs, being cancelled, right? Oh, they're, they're totally happy to call for consequences then. And those very same individuals will, if you look on their Twitter timelines or their Facebook timelines or their Instagram, whatever, you'll see them at one point calling for people to be cancelled or lose their job or be fired or, at, at the very minimum anyway. Jazaka, I'm going to get back to you. Don't worry, don't worry. Just really quickly, Hassan bin Labsir, Jazaka khair for the super chat. Abdul Wahid, do you want to just quickly respond to all some of the other points that the brother mentioned, Arsala mentioned? Yes, I will. First of all, brother, Jazaka khair, I wonder if you've made a mistake about me. I don't recall ever being on a debate with somebody called Cosmo. Abdullah did. I mean, he's getting, yeah. Abdullah. Well, I'm a big fan of Abdullah as well. If you've mistaken yeah. me for Abdullah, then, uh, then uh, alhamdulillah, that's uh, honour for me, <laughs> mashallah. Yeah. I plagiarise enough of his slogans. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, you know, Arsalan, me and Abdullah, we, we recognize uh, Abdul Wahid as like the OG, isn't that right, Abdullah? The exactly. original. Oh, yeah, Abdullah. he was doing all this before it was fashionable, so yeah. <laughs> Abdullah. Um, there was a point that the brother you made in uh, in the end I was going to address. I forgot what it was now. Got a mental. Poppies uh, and the Union flag. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're you're hundred percent right. These are these are um, these are sacred, and uh, uh, you know some countries have. I believe in the United States, if it's not an offence now, until recently it was an offence to denigrate the, the the flag. I mean, you couldn't even wear stars and stripes underpants. Uh, it would be considered in, uh, offensive. Yeah. Um, in in Canada, uh, if you uh, if, if in Canada if you um, see a Canadian flag on the ground, you're actually uh, told to burn it. So yeah. Yeah. So so th this it shows you that actually you know the nation state is sanctified above everything else. Um, in Britain, it's not an offense, legal offense per se, unless you committed a public order act to burn, burn a flag um, or poppies. But uh, it would be considered really grossly offensive to uh, most of the people in the society. So it's kind of more controlled through public opinion. Um, but yeah, I these are good to, I very good examples um, yeah. of the double standard that we see. Um, and Islam, we have our own set of priorities, and our prophet is our priority. Yeah, I, I, sorry, sorry for interrupting yeah. you, but I just wanted to make one more analogy about um, Hitler's Mien Kampf and um, what uh, Salman Rushdie basically um, published. Both, both are both are obviously uh, wrong, and uh, both should be condemned. But uh, over here. Um, we're 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 giving more attention to this sort of scenario, you know, like uh, Mian Kampf in its in its own right was should be banned, and I believe it should not be endorsed. So you know, with this sort of situation that's going going on, people are people are endorsing it instead of condemning it or at least preventing it from uh, um, being you know accepted in society. Like just like we can't we can't we can't read a copy of Mian Kampf. I, I mean, at least I don't think so in Germany. Let's say right. So that sort of analogy between hateful work. Should you know you should we should draw a line on that? Yeah, I also appreciate you coming on uh, and supporting the stream uh, with your comments, questions. Uh, so Jazakallah khair. Uh, we're going to bring on <coughs> our. I think <coughs> this brother or this person is going to be. <coughs> sorry about that. Uh, this person is going to be the last uh, person uh, on the stream, uh, which Abdul Wahid will probably be very happy. Uh, so, uh, by the way, Arsalan, if I just kicked you, that, apologies, yeah, I didn't mean to, I was just trying to take you down, yeah, so, <laughs> but, uh, so, RT, uh, if you want to make your comment, uh, be respectful as possible, if you can. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and uh, it's kind of weird to listen to you guys, because uh, in every cartoon, in every film in Hollywood, Jesus is made fun of for the last 50 years. <laughs> We don't cry about that. It's it's weird to see so many Muslims crying online. And <clears throat> so when I look at like and read the Reliance of the Traveler and your works, it says you're commanded to um, command the right and forbid the wrong. But none of you guys do that. You're very Christianized. So <clears throat> the guy who stabbed... Um, Rushdie, he's he's a true Muslim. 
That's how we see it. He's he's commanding the right and forbidding the wrong. So, so you agree with it, RT, as a Christian, a what he did? No, no but no, what he did in terms of no, your preserving the honor of that particular sacred <laughs> individual, you think that's a good thing? That's Quran 9 4 agrees with it. it no, but do you agree? I'm asking you, RT, do you agree I'm with that? I'm a Christian. That? You, I'm a Christian. You, my, yeah. my God loves you. Jesus loves you, all three of you, and all Muslims. That, that's great, My but RT, I, I'm trying to understand your position. I'm just trying to understand your position. Do you think it's good for somebody to have their religious figures gratuitously insulted? Or do you think it's it's good to restrict that and to prohibit it? <laughs> do you know Christian theology? So just to give you uh, the history, our God hung on a cross for us. There's nothing worse. We don't we don't look at insults and cry about it. We we already so, our so, Lord No no RT that's not my question. My question isn't about whether you feel insulted. My <laughs> question is whether you think it's a good thing that people should be allowed to insult Jesus God that this is a fantastic value that should be promoted within society or do you think it should be the case that these things should be prohibited? So I can just answer you with scripture because that's what yeah, you say yes, say yes or no. It's just I just want to know your position. I don't want to know your argument for your position. I just but want to our know position your, your comes position. from our theology. So, so is, explain your position, and if you want to later on explain the argument, the reasoning behind, that's fine. You can okay. do that. But I just want to know what your position is now, okay. not what you think is your interpretation of scripture or your I, scripture that pushes your position. My position is love. Matthew 5.44, Jesus taught us to love our enemies. It's the truth. That's why so we you don't see any Christians killing people. Listen, Hollywood is run by Jewish people. Jewish people hate Christians, okay? Right. You have to watch these films. They're all they all make fun of Jesus. Like literally every single one of them. We don't we we don't watch the films. We don't care. They they don't like Do us. you think that's a Jewish conspiracy, RT? No, it's not a conspiracy. Watch any film. But watch South Park. Watch but RT, I'm Simpsons. asking you, watch... do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's a good thing, that they should have the right to do that? That it's a moral right to insult so, Jesus? Do you again, think that's a good thing? We, and we the, reason why, RT, the reason why, RT, honestly, the reason why I think you're hesitant in answering this question is because I don't think you think it's a good thing. No, I think you think actually it should be the case that it should be restricted. But I no, think no, the reason why you're hesitant also to make that point is because you're using a secular standard. No, I'm trying to no. Sec so I'm trying to tell you our position. Our position is love always. So that means we're supposed to bless those who persecute us and curse us. That's what comes from Romans chapter twelve. Is that, but is it a good thing? Look, look if I was to ask you the question, freedom. if I was to ask you the freedom. question, is it a good thing to persecute Christians? You're not going to turn around and say, "Well, it's love." You're going to say, "No, it's not a good thing to persecute Christians." I lived in That's China. That's what you're going to say. I, I would hope you say that. No, no. Uh, I would hope you say that you is not we a good thing to God's persecute will. Christians. Nothing can separate us from the the love of God. That's it. That's from Romans 8. God's love in us is so strong. You can behead us. You can do whatever. Amen. It won't it I, won't I, it won't change our love for God and his love for us. So yeah, we, that's why you have that's why you experience freedom in the west because our God is love and freedom only comes from love. Freedom is not an Islamic concept. Love is is not within an interwoven network of Islam. It's not there. Okay. It's forbidding the forbidding the wrong and 
commanding the right. That's all Islam is. It's not a personal relationship with Allah. It's it's law. If I if I may respond to you, sir, um, I believe you you have a very very weak understanding of Christianity as it's historically been understood from the scriptures and and justified from the scriptures. You, sir, are a liberal uh, Christian. Uh, you have been liberalized um, since the time of the Enlightenment. Anyway, Christianity has been bottomized, been removed from politics. Liberals are full of hatred, that, not love. That well, well uh, you but yet you share exactly their values of no, um, no. You know, in America, America, you call liberals um, uh, liberals. Li you call liberals those who are, who are, who are, who are quite left wing. But um, I'm speaking philosophically rather than just the political party known as the Democrats. Um, you are a liberal. If you feel that someone who uh, blasphemes the name of God or reviles God should not be stoned to death, as it says in the Bible in uh, 1 Kings 21, Jesus 8, stopped 13, stoning. Then, stopped. Uh, then, then you are indeed a liberal Christian because for centuries and centuries and centuries, the Catholic Church, um, who was the only faction of the of Christians, at, at, uh, or at least as in the West anyway, I'm, I'm um, and Protestants, believed of various denominations believed that anyone who blasphemes god um shall, should be put to death okay That's, if you want like, i can if you want like, i can read the bible to you if you'd like because i'm, I'm you're, you see that kind of individual so i can read to you and it's uh, before, I'll, before I'll, you do abdullah i think abdul yeah. wahid wants to uh, also respond sure. so, so um it's really hard to know where to respond to somebody who says so many inaccurate things um and really confusing things. Our, God died, on, uh, our God died on a cross uh, 2,000 years ago. Our God is alive and never dies and uh, is always existent and always was and always will be. Uh, our concept of God is utterly different. Uh, yeah, because you, your God is physical. Yes. He has no spirit. No. Uh, Excuse me, sir. I was speaking. I let you speak, right. and you're right. interrupting. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so our concept of God is utterly different. Uh, you worship something that is creation. We worship the Creator. The second thing is, one of the three things that you said. We don't care about the insults of Jesus in in modern media, uh, in popular media. Um, I, this is something we see here with the Anglican Church in Britain, which has adopted the, effectively the, the, the liberal standard. Um, and it's one reason why that church actually is losing people. Uh, and, and many people really have no confidence in Christianity around the world. Because if the most revered figure in Christianity is Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, and you're comfortable with the insult to Jesus Christ, uh, peace be upon him, then uh, that says more about you than it does about him as a prophet of Allah. Uh, and that's very sad, I think, for you. Uh, the third thing is, um, you have just done with the uh, verses of the Quran what most ignorant people do, actually. They pick and choose verses from the translations of the Quran, which Honestly, sir, I don't mean this as an insult, but really to the three of us hearing you, it's comical, it's laughable, the inappropriate, inaccurate way that you're caricaturing the verses of the Quran. 
And finally, when you say very flippant comments like Christians don't harm anyone, one wonders what history you've read, what current affairs you've watched. You, I heard you say just now you're an Orthodox Christian. Well, guess what? The Orthodox Christians of Russia, with the full endorsement of the patriarchs, are killing the Orthodox Christians of UK, Ukraine, and vice versa. Uh, and, and with the full endorsement of the patriarchs of each church, of each Orthodox church. And that's never mind to say the kind of evangelical Christian fervor that got, went behind the last 20 years of the war on terror in the Muslim world and the support for the oppression of the Palestinians, many of whom are also Christians. And that's nothing to say of the Crusades. That's nothing to say of the history of Christian Europe, which is full of bloodshed. So I think, sir, you know what? I, I think it's very hard for me to spend any more time when I have to go to work in the morning listening to these kind of really very shallow arguments. Um, and uh, we, we, we know what our faith of Islam tells us about love. Um, Quran and, really, and really, me telling you what that is and you telling me what it isn't is really going to get us nowhere this evening. So um, I would say, you know, there's an environmental crisis in the world. Energy is short. We're all using our internet. And this is not a really very good use of that. Jesus loves you. Thank you, Artie, uh, for your so. coming on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, pre you know, appreciate you coming on, share your views. But I think my advice to you would be uh, just be clear about your position. That's it. You know, we don't mind you coming on criticizing uh, Islam and Muslims and this that, and the other. But if I ask you a question about whether you think it's a morally good thing or not, don't just say Jesus is love or Christianity is love and that's it. That's not answering any of the questions. Um, it doesn't help you in your in your position in regards to that. And I think the problem, other problem, obviously, is that it doesn't help you in terms of the arguments you're trying to present to try and convince us or even the audience that are looking at. And I think, you know, Brother Abdullah and Abdul Wahid have made, uh, Marshall good responses to that. And it might go over your head, but at the very least, it will be something that the audience members and I, I know they'll really appreciate some of the points that have been uh, raised here uh, Abdul Wahid are you okay to wait for one more guest yeah, sure. oh, okay one more guest let's get one more guest on oh no that I guest is not meant I'll to come on I will caveat I will caveat that with depends to be honest with you all right <laughs> no i thought is... that one, yeah yeah no i understand i thought that one more guest was uh, somebody waiting to speak but that one more guest is going to help me end the show <laughs> which is good he sort of does the admin in the background inshallah before we end there inshallah though uh appreciate everybody listening in uh to the discussion today uh, uh also uh gandaria 007 marshall is giving another 499 uh, when one stands for nothing, they will fall for anything. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, this is the state of Christianity. Uh, I think that point, I, I think, is raised uh, also by Abdul Wahid and Abdullah, that part of the problem that we see within the West, or within the UK, with regards to Christianity and the declining influence Christianity has within society is because it's not perceived as holding any values or holding any principles anymore. There's the, Basically, there doesn't seem to be anything sacred within Christianity that people will say, you know, we want to, 
hold on to this we believe and we're willing to sort of any uh fight not even necessarily in a physical sense but just simply hold stand ground and say no this is right this is what we hold as sacred we don't believe people should have the right to do xyz because people are not holding on to these things within christianity christian christianity in the uk particular uh is declining uh abdullah just before we end is there any last points that you want to quickly raise uh anything also that you're doing yourself in terms of that we should be looking out for um well i was uh i was uh, just simply gonna say that um you know as muslims uh we should take a lesson um, from the christians but not in the way that that individual would like us to um take lesson as a warning um because of the enlightenment adopting a materialist basis for good and bad for morals and so on and so forth um many many christians uh have, in an attempt to make their faith irrelevant succumbed to liberalism they repackaged liberal um, christianity as they, they kind of say let's just forget about all the uh you know uh the the, the execution for blasphemy mandated in the bible um uh, uh Let's repeal laws against blasphemy of, of the against the Trinity, which was actually a law in UK up until very recently. Um, they, let's just uh, let's have it all like all uh, all love and peace and so on and so forth. They repackage themselves to be uh, attractive to the new liberal world order, which was all about um, kind of uh, giving people freedom because we care about them, we care about people. And if they don't like it, we will we'll take over their country and change their political system because it's what's best for them, because we care, right? Uh, which was colonialism. So the Christians in the West, uh, they succumbed to this and they adopted secularism and liberalism. Jesus was allowed to be denigrated without, um, without any serious demand for a law prohibiting this. And what happened was that when something could be made, uh, can be ridiculed, and disrespected and made a laughing stock, then it, and it, and people see that in society, and the children grew up in that society seeing that that is allowable, then they can't respect it themselves, and they can't believe in it themselves, and that's what led. Um, that's what is accelerating the decline of Christianity in the West, as, as only as well. That's one aspect. There's a few others. Yeah. Um, anyway, so my my point is this: um, uh, I've done some debates with uh, atheists and with. Um, Secularists on these topics. Uh, so, if you want to go to my uh, blog, abdullahalandalusi.com, and just type in freedom of speech uh, in the search, and you'll see, you'll see a whole bunch of debates I've done in the past about this issue. And um, yeah, I mean, in essence, you know, I think that as, as Muslims, we shouldn't be reactive. Uh, we shouldn't be dancing to the tune other people um, lay out for us. But, but if, you know, if Salman Rushdie got hit by a meteorite, uh, no one would say to the Muslims, what do you think about this, right? Like, it's just, oh, it's just happenstance, right? It's happenstance. Well, as far as we con we're concerned, by an individual that I didn't control, none of us controlled, and this individual took it upon themselves to kill him, it might as well be a, um, a meteorite because we didn't control this. So then yeah. we expect to be to show remorse or to be um, remorseful for something that we didn't do or to be sad or to what, publicly cry um, for someone that has insulted us in our most intimate um our most intimate beliefs, the most intimate um, uh, uh, love for more than our parents. Well, uh, sorry, you can't. You have no right to demand us uh, demand that from us. But and that's about it, really. I think that's that's all I need to. That's what I wanted to say. 
Jazakallah, Abdullah. Always appreciate you coming on. Jazakallah, uh, Abdul Wahid. Any last comments, points? I know it's a, it's a bit past your bedtime. Like the old man here, um, but uh, you know it's a very important discussion this evening. Mashallah, I, I think um, uh, there's a headline in the Observer today: the Observer view on the attack on Salman Rushdie being an attack on free speech. Uh, it's the substance of what we've been talking about this evening, um, and and I think I think that is really the more important debate, as we've all been saying this evening. Um, Rushdie is one man uh, who is the front face for effectively a very hostile secular capitalist system against Islam. One tool, I say, like the Shah of Iran, like Ashraf Ghani in Afghanistan, like any stooge that's been used, whether they realize they've been used or not. Um, and the issue of the free speech attack is just one way of attacking Islam more. And actually, we, we need to understand that the Islamic system has something to offer. The quote from Voltaire I gave, I gave it, and somebody, SC, has just asked me, did I know that Voltaire also made a play degrading the Prophet Yes, I know Voltaire is, is hostile to the Prophet But I, I use that quote because even someone like Voltaire recognized that when the Sharia of Islam, the Sharia of the Prophet is implemented in the society, actually it offers the chance for people of different backgrounds to get on with each other. Um, and and that, that's really where the debate is at. These guys who are advocates of free speech can scream and cry all they like for it, but it doesn't necessarily make these societies any nicer places to live when everyone's cursing everyone else's mother and father and children and everything all the time. It's really not a very pleasant society to live in. Um, and uh, a pleasant world because it's the system that dominates the world, actually. So I think, I think that's where we need to take the debate with how Islam has an alternative, inshallah. Have you enjoyed it, Abdul Wahid? Yeah, it's been really good. It's a really, really, it's, got, it's flown by. Really good Abdul. comment, really good comment from most of your guests. Uh, the last one was a bit of left field. But um, uh, but I think Abdullah's point is right. You know, where Christianity is today is where the think tanks and policymakers of the West would like Islam to be very soon. Yeah. And 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 that that's a lot of these discussions are trying to force that debate to go down that direction, so that we reform Islam in the way that Christianity has been reformed. Jazakallah khair, Abdul Wahid, Abdul Andalusi. Uh, really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, inshallah, hopefully we have you guys on uh, soon again. Um, I think inshallah uh, we will end the stream there. So uh, thank you all the audience for watching, engaging, discussing, supporting us. Like, share, subscribe, you know, the usual stuff inshallah. Uh, saying that, we're going to end uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.